Welcome to uh, another long-awaited edition of the Colorful Kit Podcast. Uh, we got a full house today. We got Brian, we got Rafa, and for the first time, hopefully the first of many, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Uh, we got John Arnold. How you are you doing, guys, tonight? Good, good. I'm good. I didn't know the pressure was on. I didn't know it was like an audition situation. So I'm, I'm okay, but we'll see how it goes. It's a trial. It's a trial podcast. <laughs> I mean, for me personally, it's been a while, so... Yeah, you just came back from England, right? Yeah, the UK, watched some games too. It was great. I mean, uh, personally, as somebody who, I mean, I go to Tijuana sometimes to go watch games. It was it was pretty refreshing. Not to say that, I mean, the level the level of play is, I mean, you can't compare it. But I mean, it was exciting. It, it was exciting. I had fun. How many uh, Chicha West Ham jerseys did you see? <laughs> I didn't see any because I was in Manchester most of the time, so uh, I did see a lot of Manchester City, though. So the town is crazy for them, so um, maybe it's because I'm an Arsenal fan and you know I watched Peggy and Sean at Manchester United, but uh, I thought the the City fans were, were a bit more passionate than United. That's because they just learned about soccer like four or five years ago. <laughs> maybe, but I, I thought the overall experience was, was amazing. I mean, I went for the Napoli game, and the atmosphere was like just uh, the stadium itself was was great. I mean, uh, there there isn't like a bad seat in the house. I mean, the stadium was was just it was one of the best sporting experiences I had. Uh, I mean, they they could be a little louder, the fans could be a little more rowdy, but overall it was great. But I would do it. I would definitely recommend it. Very nice. One day soon. I'm trying. I'm trying to. Plan a vacation with my girlfriend. The whole thing is just so I can watch some soccer. We'll see. <laughs> she likes. She wants to go to Spain. I'm like, well, let's just go to Barcelona. <laughs> Obviously. I can go watch where Gio and Jonah learn how to play. Uh, thanks for that reminder. <laughs> well, let's, <laughs> well, let's start start off by talking about Mexicans abroad, which I guess technically that includes them. But long story short, they didn't make the playoffs. They're not doing much. I mean, has I mean, John, have you heard of any any potential loan for them, or are they just gonna stick around and hang out in LA and watch the Clippers play? I'm not sure what's going down with them. I know that the Mexico, a couple of people have floated the idea of, oh, maybe they come play in Liga Mekis for a little bit. Uh, I don't. I'd be sort of surprised to see uh, to see anything happen, but uh, it's it's definitely possible to see what their offseason plans look like. I don't. I mean, look, you know, they're gonna take a little bit of rest, but I don't foresee either of them uh, just totally chill and taking time off. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster, and I think they they know that. So they'll be part of these Mexico games. Uh, we'll have to see what the training camp looks like in Austin. Yeah, it's, that, was a, that was a rough season. I know you cover MLS, and I know uh, Rafa's out there in L.A., but that was just bad. It was, and, and I think even more so as well, you know, in some respects, the off season was about making even more of these teams, you know, like Bobby Keane. Some of the moves they made, I think, were sort of indicating to him, either directly or indirectly, okay, we this is all about you. We can trust in you, and, and he didn't really deliver. But it would also be incredibly harsh to put all that on him. Uh, the defense was quite bad. They had some injuries in the back. Julian Jones, who I think they, for some reason, despite his age, thought he was going to be a big centerpiece, and wasn't. You know, one spot they had outside of breaking Jonah, you know, halfway through the year was Romano Sandrini. 
he played all right, but you know, between injuries and just sort of puzzling offseason decisions, they got a lot of work to do in this offseason. And not only that, but they got a lot of work to do because there's LAFC coming in, Carlos Vela, presumably with other exciting players. So marketing wise, they got that big hurdle too. It wasn't a good year Speaking of uh, Carlos Vela, uh, I know we were just talking about this before we started recording, Brian. But what is going on with him out there? Is he is he as of right now? But besides the Jonas the Jonas Brothers, besides the Dos Bros, is he the most disappointing <laughs> Mexican abroad right now? I mean, if you consider him of that group, uh, I would say absolutely. Um, he got a few games here and there early on. Then you could sort of see the filtering process where they're really not trying to put him in there. And he's really, yeah, he's, he's, they're at that point, I think, where they're saying, you know, they're, they're goodbyes and ready to depart here because he's not really, he's not scoring. There's no assist. There's really few minutes played. So I think it's uh, pretty much wrapped up. Yeah, he's kind of just, I, you know, I, I read up the article every week and it's just like Vela off the bench, seven minutes, Vela off the bench, 12 minutes or or he'll play. He'll get that random start in Kazakhstan in Europa League, and it's just like, man, this guy used to be. He was voted one of the best forwards in Spain for what three years ago, and now he's just, he's just there. Like, <laughs> yeah, when Mexico needed him the most is when he was producing the most with that club. So, yeah, go figure. Yeah, I think it'd be one thing too, you know, if he was if Real Sociedad was really struggling, or or you know, like they weren't scoring goals and they needed some some boost, but you know. They've been doing right in both countries that they're in. Uh, and Zanazal is the games, you know, a lot of times if he's getting a start off looking on. And then, you know, he gets subbed out, Zanazal looks on and it does better. You know, like, look, any league, any player, if you're not playing as well as the guy behind you, you're going to end up on the bench, even more so when the coach knows, well, not only am I going to lose this guy in January, he's not playing. So. I think it's a, a bad combination of form and the fact that, you know, there's a there's a public knowledge that he's out the door. So what's the motivation for the coach to try and get him in rhythm now? One stuff? There's really not any for me. So I think it's a tough situation. Exactly. Well, we still have one guy doing well in uh, La Liga, and it's uh, Andres Guardado. Have you been able to catch any of his games, Rafa? Of course. Uh, I'm a big Betis fan. I mean, not a big Betis fan. I'm a big fan of their manager. I think he's one of the up-and-coming managers in maybe world football, I don't know. Uh, but they're an attractive team. I mean, they play good. They, um, I think Guardado uh, is a central piece to their team. Uh, I mean, they're exciting to watch. Uh, I think he, I think a lot of us maybe question his move outside of PSV, uh, you know, just because he was doing so well there and he was the captain. And, uh, and you know, I'm sure he was getting a little older, but... Uh, you know, things were going well at PSV, so I think a lot of us were surprised when he, he moved back to Spain, but uh, but I think now we know why. I think this Betis team, this Betis project is uh, is an attractive one. It's, I mean, I'm sure he's learning as a player. Uh, as he's getting older, I think he, he's getting more, uh, he's learning more about the game. He, he's just tactically speaking, he's, he's more in touch with how to make those players around him better. Um, I think it, it's important for, for him as a player personally. And, I mean, when you translate that into a national team, uh, considering that he's also a big piece with the national team, uh, I think what he can bring to the table, I mean, is is vital for Mexico going forward. Uh, and, and like I mentioned before, uh, I think a 
not sure. I haven't caught up with their last games, but I know beforehand they were doing really well. Uh, they even beat Madrid in, in the Bernabeu. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's exciting to see a player like Guardado get, get so much respect in Spain. Uh, and now with, with a team that, I mean, it doesn't have the budget of maybe uh, the big teams in Spain, but I mean, they're doing well. I mean, they're playing well. They're, they're playing respectable football at the moment. Um, how close... Uh, John, was Guardado going to sign with MLS and basically Atlanta? I mean, I, we kept hearing it for like two summers. He was he was there, five six million dollars, and it just didn't happen. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I don't know hundred percent negotiations, but obviously with that much uh, smoke, there's also. I heard some very interesting things about Atlanta reaching out to not only like other other sort of exciting uh, Mexican names. Well, unfortunately, I can resist. But, uh, no, I think it was one of those things where, especially when they were building that team before they had Tata Martin, but sort of the architect, you know, a couple of players, and they definitely wanted the name uh, like the top. But, you know, when you look at how he's played in the past couple of years, and, and I love MLS, and no one loves CONCACAF like me and believe There's no argument that Mexico is a better And, and you know he's in the middle. He's making things happen. He's 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 really all over the field. He, he's a very integral part to that team. And you know if you're asking Juan Carlos Osorio or, or anyone, any Mexico fan, would you rather have a guy playing week in week out, you know, in La Liga or you know being a star at MLS? There's no doubt about it. If you're getting minutes in La Liga, like that, that's the peak, right? That's the pinnacle. Guardado's established that spot. He doesn't look like he's going to relinquish it anytime soon. He's been one of the better players on the team when I've watched the uh, Betis and. And, uh, you know, good for him. It's it's uh, certainly kind of where you want him to be heading into Russia with, you know, whatever we have, I guess, eight or nine months before the World Cup. It's a pretty ideal situation. And he's doing well. He's he's playing that, I keep seeing him, like, not necessarily the D-mid spot, but just central midfield. And, I mean, as of this week, he's now second in the league in assists, but he's and he's also second in the league in key passes. So it's... That's something that's especially. I mean, I don't constant. I don't think Real Betis are a big club, but that's something. That's a lot. That means a lot coming from him. You know, playing at. I guess I would constitute them as a smaller club. Not one of those where it's like Real Madrid versus. I don't even know what the, what the, whatever the whatever the newly promoted team is, Las Palmas or something. It's seven zero. You know. Yeah, they're definitely hanging. I mean, I think uh, like Rafa was saying, they've got a good system. I think the fans have been really uh, something that I had never really noticed before. They're very passionate. I saw them, you know, show up for for training and everything, and and uh, it, it seems like a really good atmosphere. And, and yeah, look, like uh, one of those mid-level La Liga clubs, which is I think about where they are. Uh, I, I don't know. I think I think it's a really good situation because if you're at Madrid even or or Barcelona or whoever. Yeah, maybe you're playing, but there's always pressure. There's a guy nipping at your heels. Uh, and that's not, not the case at a mid-level team, but I think there's a little bit less pressure, a little bit less chance that you're going to you know, be like Chicharito's time at Real Madrid, where when he played, it was fine and good. Usually when he got on the field, it was just about getting on the field, and that wasn't necessarily happening for him. Here at this mid-level club, you still have guys trying to compete to get into the squad, uh, but maybe not as much, and Betis, I think, is depending on him more than a Madrid would depend on him, I guess, is what I'm getting at. And I think that forces you as a player, look, Guardado's a leader, he's been around, he's a veteran, he knows what's going on. 
Um, but even so, I think that, that, as you mentioned, maybe he's still growing in his football, learning new things that he hasn't learned before. And, and I think the club's dependence on him helps foster that. It's, it's really crazy if you think about it three years ago. He was just coming off a really bad loan at Bayer Leverkusen where they had him at left back. Same thing with Valencia earlier in the year. They just weren't really playing him. And he, he was called in to the squad, but I don't think anyone really had him – for sure going to Brazil up until that injury by, um, I can't think of his name, uh, Chapel. Yeah, up until that injury by him. And then after that injury, Bioho kind of shifted him inside, and it's kind of been like a rebirth for him ever since. Yeah. Uh, well, the one thing that's really interesting about his move was the fact that, number one, he didn't break the bank with the signing. But the other thing is he said he wants to challenge himself, and he had something good. At PSV, so I think that's kind of like a nice, refreshing thing to see. Like there was no guarantees with going to that club that they would be decent, and then everything's clicked. They got a really good manager with some fresh ideas, and now he's playing arguably top three best Mexicans. You know, so I, it's a really, it was like the perfect storm for him. And uh, moving on to not really playing, I know you're a big fan of him, uh, Rafa. But what is going on with Raúl Jiménez this year at uh? At Benfica. I mean, the same thing that's been going on with Raul Jimenez since he basically arrived in Portugal. Um, I mean, I know we'll talk about Porto later, but I think Porto's top of the league table right now. Uh, with Benfica, the, the thing with Raul Jimenez is he's, he's, a, he's a special player. You, you need to build a, a system around him. I mean, I'm not saying the whole, the whole team around him, but... Uh, I mean, as we've seen with with Juan Carlos Osorio tinkering with him uh, as a forward, he sort he sort of has to be like the focal point of the attack. I mean, he has to play with back to goal. He has to free his teammates. You know, spread the ball wide. I mean, that's the kind of player he is. I, I don't think the coach at Benfica ever since he's arrived has has really used him that way. Um, and I I know we were talking earlier about how currently the competition isn't doing that bad with Seferovic. Um, you know he's he scored a couple goals. I, I don't know how he's doing, how he's been doing lately. But um, the thing with, with Raúl Jiménez again, it, I mean, he, I, I I don't know about you guys, but uh, I mean he he scores goals. I mean he he scored. I, I know he he the last game against uh, I think Manchester United he he rattled the post. Um, I mean he when he gets the opportunity he he makes he makes stuff happen. But uh, with Raúl Jiménez is is whether he he ups his level to, to you know, where he, he becomes a good player to, to a great player. I think it's more depending towards the coach and, you know, just building the team uh, around him or at least, you know, making plays for him, uh, to use a basketball term, I guess. Um, but, I mean, that, that's been the problem with me with, with Raul Jimenez. I, as, I think uh, when you look at Chicharito in the competition at, at the moment, I think Chicharito, I, uh, I know things haven't gone as great with, with West Ham, but... Uh, when you look at, at Chicharito in the last Mexico national team games, he's actually done a very good job playing that sort of Raul Jimenez style of play. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's just a matter of either he's scoring goals or, you know, he, he moves teams in, in the future for me because uh, he's, he's never going to be that great player. You know, he's a good player, but can he really, you know, elevate his level to be a great player? Here's like the one thing I don't get about Jimenez this year. He has 11 appearances in the league, one start, 
229 minutes. He has three starts in the Champions League and has 274 minutes. So I'm like, how do you trust this guy to start every, pretty much every one of their match days in Champions League, but then you don't give him any minutes in the league? I, I don't know. It's just a weird, just a weird season he's having. I don't know. Um, and you brought up Chicharito, and I, I think we talked about this. I think a couple weeks ago, Brian. What like I, I try watching his games. I get up every morning and watch the games, and it's it's not as bad for me because I'm in the Central Time Zone, like you guys out in the West. But this West Ham team is just trash. I'm sorry, it's it awful. is just trash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, every time I watch them, it's just been very clueless playing. And um, you know, Chicharito. I hate to say it, it's like you need to utilize what he brings and there's they're not even looking to hit him with a pass and every time i watch he gets subbed out you know 68th minute 75th minute and he's averaging he's averaging like a, sh- a little over one shot a game yeah like it's, that's it's unbelievable for your center forward the guy you built your, your offense around he's averaging a little over one shot a game like that's just crazy yeah. to me yeah, I don't get it. It's it's just not it's not connecting. The team's not connecting. It's very. It, I I heard it was like oh you know wait till some of the injured guys come back and you know there's a very hopeful team and it's been anything but. It's just been downhill. It's rough. They can't they can't handle their own with a with a top five team. Did they just fire the coach today or not so, yet? <laughs> no. <laughs> they, were, they were pretty bad. They were, they were awful. I saw the game against Liverpool. And, yeah, that's that's a terrible team. <laughs> the best was when they started Chicharito on the wing like three weeks ago, four weeks ago. Uh, oh, my God. Did they talk to Juan Carlos Osorio? Yeah, Juan Carlos probably told him, no, you start Jimenez on the wing. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, speaking of uh, players on the wing, um, Chucky Lozano, that he's just – I know you've said some things about him in your little and your. I think you do him what once a week, uh, John. Your uh, little Mexican abroad video about a couple, yeah. couple minutes long. I mean, did you follow the league, Max? You, you've seen you've seen him as when he was 18, 19, 20 years old. Did you expect him to be like right off the bat tearing up uh, the, the league? Well, first of all, I think we'd have to talk about how disappointing it is that he didn't score uh, Sunday. You know, uh, his his goal, his goal at game pace is in danger. Uh, no, obviously I'm kidding. He's he's been incredible. Uh, I I look. I think ever since he started when he was a teenager, you think, well, you know, this guy and Guti as well. You know, both of them starting. It's like, all right, wow. Like maybe these guys are sort of the next generation. But uh, I certainly didn't think he'd adapt to Europe as well. In fact, I honestly I had some doubts because you know a lot of players, a lot of or a lot of defenders in the Yamakis were fouling him. I think he was the most fouled player for you know two or three tournaments in a row. He was injured a lot. I, I was concerned. You know. European defenders maybe are a little more graceful than the defenders in CONCACAF, but they're also better. So I, I was worried that maybe teams could physically take him out of games. That hasn't been the case in the Netherlands. And and uh, I think he's really benefited from, you know, the last tournament in Pachuca, especially after Pisadro left, uh, it, you know, sort of everything fell on Chucky. He had to create goals. He had to score goals. He had to sort of do everything. Now he's playing in a system where not only is he not being called upon to necessarily be a creator, he can sort of do whatever he wants. You know, sometimes he's on the left, sometimes he's on the right. He can cut inside. They love through balls. They love long shots. They, they shoot as they shoot at will. Uh, it's a very very attacking team, and I think he's been able to run onto long passes, take shots first touch. That at Pachuca, you know, he was getting the ball at his feet at the midfield stripe. 
and had to do something about it. And sometimes he was able to, which I think speaks to his talent. But now that he's able to sort of make runs, run onto balls into space, I think that's really freed him up to have this wonderful start that he's had. And yeah, it's great. You know, I, I don't know what, what more you can say if you're a Mexico fan. He's, he's undoubtedly, you know, the Mexicans abroad minute that I've been doing, a lot of times it is bad news. You know, Vela isn't playing, Moreno isn't playing, Chicharito's team is horrible. But you have El Chucky scoring goals, uh, being a critical part of that team, being beloved by the fans. You know, they, they, uh, they're doing a, a song, multiple different songs to sort of give him love. So it, it's certainly inspiring for fans. And, and again, the sort of boost you need ahead of the World Cup. And as PSV fans just love the Mexicans. I remember when there there was rumors of Chucky going out there, and I'd get I'd get fans out of there text you know hitting me up on Twitter. Hey, is this guy gonna be good? Like, what's going on? I know you know he's is he better than Guardado because Guardado's amazing and just the fans love it. I mean, they're singing Cielito Lindo or the tune of Cielito Lindo to Chuck to Irving Lozano. I mean, they just love him over there. It's just a goal a game, and like you were saying, you were joking, but. <coughs> Today was the first time he didn't score or assist since the like the third game of the season, which he, he got an early red card. So he has been on a tear. And do you think, John, he's an automatic starter for Mexico? No matter what, whether we play a a three five two, a four four three, whatever we play, you think he's gonna he's he's gonna start? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Automatic starter, maybe. I mean. He, Does you know, Mexico he's... have any automatic starters besides Moreno as a left center back? I mean, Moreno is for sure. I think usually Chicharito is is sort of. I mean, I think right now when you put your team sheet together, Lozoya really loves Tacatito. He really loves Corona. You know, I think uh, I haven't done it for like a year or two, but when I did it after I think the Copa America Centenario, I did like number of minutes played under Osorio, and I think Tacatito was either second or third after. Uh, either Moreno or Chicharito. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe those guys are injured. Anyway, my point is that he plays a lot of minutes. Uh, but Lozano, look, I mean, he's growing into the role clearly. And I think that, you know, it's going to be very, very difficult not to start him because I think he's becoming an even better player. Like I said, I think he's learning, you know, skills that he didn't have uh, playing in the Gamekis because he's, you know, given, being, being given a little bit different responsibilities. So I think it'd be very difficult not to start him. Uh, these European games, I think, will be fascinating to watch sort of how he's, how Osorio uses him because, uh, you know, it's a big, uh, it's a big call. You know, it's a big, these are big games that are coming up. Lozano, I think, in the best form. So I think you definitely have to start him in these games. And if this continues, for sure, for sure, going forward, uh, he's, he's right there as one of the first names on the team sheets after, after Moreno and, and Chicharito. And uh, Rafa, we we talked about this before. Do you, do you see a world where we start uh, Chucky and Tecatito, or do you think it's going to be one or the other? Yeah, I mean, we talked about this before. I I think John Arnold made like a really good point about how Osorio really likes Tecatito. Um, I, listen, my my beef with with Lozano, I've said it before. I'm I'm sure I've gone on the podcast and said it is. Uh, I think um, I, I hate to bring it up, but that game against Chile, I think he was one of the worst players on the field, and I think Chile sort of exposed the fact that he he has this sort of like, you know, I mean, not, not to call him lazy, but I, I don't think he knows when to track back and when to defend. Uh, I hope that you know he maybe he learns that playing for PSV, 
But I feel like he, he sort of got exposed in that game against Chile. Uh, I mean, just not to put all the blame on him because there were players who were just terrible that game. But uh, I think I think maybe Juan Carlos Osorio knows that. I, I think um, maybe playing Tecatito and Lozano together is a little bit of a risk when it comes to you know defending and tracking back, especially with more offensive-minded teams like Chile. I think would maybe I think all all Mexico fans would love to see just you know explosive offense with both Tecatito and Lozano on the wing. I mean, just stretching the field and you know, um, you know, making space for guys like Chicharito to uh, you know latch into the you know crosses inside the box. I mean, I think we would all love to see that. But uh, I mean, tactically speaking, it's complicated. Uh, I don't know. I, I'll ask you. Would you like to see it? <sighs> Like, do can we have two wingers who have a history of not tracking back? I mean, <laughs> I granted, Tecatito does track back more now, I think. Yeah. The other day I even highlighted the fact that he had, like, four or five interceptions, two or three tackles. Like, he does track back. So I think I think I would trust Tecatito more if, you know, if we're playing a team and we're, Mexico's the underdog and we need, we need someone to track back. Maybe you start him and you bring in Lozano's 60th minute. Everyone's tired. I mean... But I, I mean, don't think you start both. I don't know. Maybe I mean, that's just me. The other option is, is with Carlos Vela, who doesn't track back either. But the thing with Carlos Vela is, I mean, before he just, I mean, he's not playing now. But, I mean, Vela's a special player in, in the sense that, you know, defenders sort of gravitate him to, towards him. So it's like he, he just makes stuff happen. So, okay, uh, I mean, to compare another player, Pulisic, uh, which is a special player in my opinion. You know, just players like that who just, like, defenders sort of gravitate towards them. So there's less of that tracking back because defenders sort of have to keep an eye on them. Um, I don't think Lozano and Tecatito are at that level per se. But, I mean, Vela doesn't track back either. I mean, he, I mean, Vela couldn't tackle his life depending on him, if we're honest. But, I mean, what other, what other options are there? Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll once we get to the roster, we'll see. We'll try to guess at a starting 11, but... Yeah, I don't know. I just I love watching Chucky play. It's just just watching it. And just watching the. I mean, I wish more people watched the Eredivisie. It's just a fun league. Like it. It doesn't matter if you're first team versus the last place team. Everyone just wants to score goals. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of a league where they're scoring goals, Porto. I mean, Porto. Just earlier this year, I was watching them, and it was just like, okay. You know, we were just talking about him, but Tegatito pretty much started every game, got subbed out between the 45th and 60th minute. Just that was the standard call. And now it seems like Tegatito's still playing, but Herrera has kind of sunk his teeth back into the starting lineup, and he's wearing the captain's armband. And I don't know, what do you think? What do you think, Brian? Do you think he's uh, he's back? Do you think Herrera's back? Yeah, and, I, and I, I go back to a specific point where he looked completely back, and that was against uh, – Trinidad when he scored that free kick because it seemed like he's been he was eyeballing one of those type of goals for a long time and then once he scored that it was like it translated right over to FC Porto and he's it's like 2014-2015 version of uh, you know Herrera here and he's scoring goals he's assisting players he's this is the perfect time for him to hit the stride so yeah I definitely think he's back on track for sure 
That's a great point, I think, about him finding his confidence. I think a player can get frustrated when they're not seeing the minutes that maybe they feel like they deserve, especially when they've been as integral to a team as Herrera was with Porto, and then all of a sudden he's riding the pine a bit. You know, the national team, he had a, I thought he had a really rough couple summers. And, you know, I think that's a really good observation that when he scores that goal, maybe there's a, a you know, a huge mountain coming off your back and, and you feel you're a little bit more free. You try a few more different things in training with, the, with your club and then you get on the field with your club and then you score in Champions League, then you score on the weekend. And I mean, I think he's a player who, who you know, it, that confidence can be enormous. The fact that, you know, the manager's giving you minutes and, and it sort of becomes a cycle, right, of, of positivity. So I, I, I think, you know, is he back yeah, sure. Let's let's say he's back and, and let him prove it a little bit. I think he's feeling it, and that's a, that's a great thing. I don't know if you guys saw in the post-game press conference from the manager yesterday, he said that when he took the job, he told the president he wanted to get a good base of players, and he said he specifically asked that Herrera stay. He wanted Herrera to stay over the summer, so I thought that was a little interesting that he called it out and said he wanted Herrera to stay, but then to start off the year, like you guys saying, Herrera – he, he was on that Carlos Vela 10, 15, 20 minutes a game for the first month and a half of the season. But now he's back, and the manager even said uh, yesterday that he said it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, a surprise that Herrera's wearing the captain's armband. You know, he's well-respected and well-loved in the locker room. So, But it just, it just makes it a little bit more weird. If he's you know, the captain, how, is he not, you know, how did he not start off the year for the first six weeks he played like 20 minutes a game? <laughs> Well, maybe it was like a, a one of those things, which I think we'll get onto later about Osorio. But maybe that's his version of, "Hey, you better wake up because I will definitely be sitting you if you're not up to par." You know. Speaking of sitting, Layun. Well, we'll get to Diego Reyes eventually, but Layun. I don't know what is going on with him there. They they do the they, he had a great season while on loan. They do the buy option, and then they sign a, a specific player to replace him, and now. He is just—he's making the roster sometimes, some games, some games he's not. I mean, he's playing the cup games, but it just seems like the guys in front of him aren't getting hurt, so he's not going to get any minutes. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, what are your thoughts on that, Rafa? I know you're a big Layun fan. Yeah, I mean, I think Tejas. I think the guy who's playing left back at the moment is doing the job quite well. Uh, but you're right. I, I don't know. Like, I really don't know what the Lyon situation is like. I mean, if you're, like you said, if they if they went into the process of, you know, uh, keeping this guy in your team, but then you don't play him, it's sort of like, okay, well, what is going on here? Uh, not only that, uh, we assume that maybe, I mean, I'd assume that maybe Bits came in uh, during this past uh, um, transfer window. And because, I mean, there was that moment where Lyon wasn't called up for the national team. And we all thought that maybe he was going to move teams. Uh, and that's the reason he, he 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 wasn't called up for the national team. So yeah, the it, the it, rumor was he was going to go to Spain, a team in Spain. That was like the rumor at the time, but it never happened. It's it's a little weird. I mean, for Mexico, it's alarming because this is a guy who's probably going to start, and he's he's not in any rhythm. Uh, he's not in any playing rhythm. I mean, he's not getting regular minutes. Uh, so it, it it is a bit worrying as a Mexico fan. Uh, but I, you have to trust that Layun is, is is good enough, and I mean, as weird as it sounds, it's probably not anybody better in the national team, even if he doesn't play. Uh, but but it is a little alarming if you're Juan Carlos Osorio. It's almost like his flex, his like ability to play on the left and right is hurting him because Porto's keeping him as a backup in case Tejas gets hurt or uh, 
their Uruguayan right back. I can't think of his name right now. Well, I mean, wasn't Pereira even injured and he wasn't even starting yet? I mean, yeah, I don't. It's like he's just there in case someone gets hurt, and it's like, okay, let's someone's hurt. Let's because I remember last year, uh, he got Pereira got hurt for like a month and a half, and uh, Layun played right back, and then the team didn't miss a beat. But then once he got healthy, it's like, okay, go back to the bench, Layun. I mean, I I I, pers- I think I I watch a bit of Porto, and um, I I I was satisfied with the with the way their fullbacks played. I mean, not to be biased, but. I mean, I like Layun, but the guys in front of him are, are doing well, in my opinion. <laughs> so, I mean, there's sometimes there's nothing much you can do. I mean, just yeah. wait for your chance. Yeah, and then I mean, this weekend, speaking of getting your chance, Diego Reyes, out of nowhere, yeah. gets a start at defensive midfielder, and he played pretty well. He kept the ball moving, had an assist. It was one of those assists where the ball hits you, and then somehow you get credited with the assist, but he'll take it. Uh, <laughs> he's just a player that's kind of struggling. I where do you see him fitting into Mexico, John? Do you see him getting minutes? I mean, he has struggled. Anytime Osorio puts him in that, let's call it the Rafa Marquez role, he's been really bad. He really has. I mean, I think it's frustrating for Mexico because he and Layun both seemed like they were going to make moves away this summer. It was clear that they probably weren't in the first 11 or maybe you know even the first 15, I guess, in Porto. And I think you want Reyes. If you're Mexico, Moreno, we said, you know, left center back for sure. And that right center back spot... A lot of guys have had a lot of trouble with it. And I think, you know, if you put a gun to my head and said Mexico's best center back pairing first, I would be very confused as to why you're doing that to me. But second, I, I think I would say Moreno and Reyes. You know, I think, I, I, I don't know. I just, for, for, for whatever reason, I think that's the best pairing that, you, that they have. When you have three, maybe you pick, pick, put a Rajo in the mix. But uh, if he's not getting minutes at center back and the, you know, very few minutes that he is seeing at defensive midfield, it does create a bit of an issue for you because, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to come in out of form. Can he be a starter at a position where, you know, he's not even playing anywhere, much less at that position? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that he's going to have a rhythm. I think, you know, another tournament at Espanol would have been good for him, but, but clearly that didn't work. If he can move away in January, maybe he can start to get a little rhythm at, at any position, and I think that's something necessary. But I think if you're a Mexico fan, if you're Juan Carlos Osorio and the coaching staff, you would much rather see him getting minutes at center back than in that defensive midfield role where he's had a lot of difficulties, like you mentioned, when he was wearing green. I remember one of my earlier memories of him at Porto was, if, I don't know if you guys remember, when they stuck him at right back in like the quarterfinals of the Champions League against Bayern Munich. Mm. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a rough game. It was a bloodbath. <laughs> It's also possible that he gets stuck at right back, too. I mean, you know, bring him back a little bit. We were talking about, do you put Tecatito and Lozano both in there? They don't really get back. They don't defend. I mean, that's not that much of an issue if you have, you know, really solid, sound outside backs. But as we know, Mexico really doesn't have that. That's sort of the weakness of the team. Osorio doesn't seem to want to try anybody else out there. But sometimes it's Reyes there. Sometimes it's Salcedo. So it's, uh, you know, that's somewhere where even if he's playing it right back and, and you know, hopefully doing, you know, look, the, the guys that they're playing week in, week out in Portugal are much less uh, dangerous than the guys at Bayern. So even if he's getting in a right back, which is not because Glyon can't even get in, you know, that would be good. So if he can get a move away, if he plays anywhere on the field, I think it's positive. But uh, nice to see him on the field for Mexico, but I think you want him somewhere else and hopefully playing center back. It just it just blows my mind that he didn't Porto didn't sell him because he they could he could have got an, an offer from any of those two La Liga teams where he played a pretty good loan, two loans at Real Sociedad and Espanol they they really liked him but 
Portal, I don't know. The the last thing I heard is they want to extend his contract because he can leave on a free in January, so it's going to be interesting. I think they might play him in the next couple of weeks to see if they want to extend him. Otherwise, he'll, have to, he'll, he'll just leave. He'll sign with the new club in January. Granted, he won't be able to leave till the summer, but at least he'll have his club situation worked out. Yeah, he had um, he had some pretty marquee games at Real Sociedad, and of course, Espanol. Um, but remember that game when he, I think it was in 2016 when they they shut down Barcelona. Um, so like that, you know, he's capable. Like we said, if he gets the time to just produce and get in form really well, so hopefully he does get out of there or at least get minutes of some sort. Um, speaking of getting minutes, uh, Carlos Salcido is getting a lot of minutes now. He's kind of the, the designated right side of a three-man back line. Um, <laughs> you joked about it, John, but can he play right back from Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he has, right? I mean, can he play right back from Mexico is maybe not the right question. I think the right question is can he play right back from Mexico at the level – the World Cup will demand. Now that's the real question, right? I think even in CONCACAF, again, love CONCACAF. No one loves it more than me. Uh, man, that's not a little like Trumpian, but you know what I mean. Like I'm, I'm the CONCACAF, <laughs> I'm the CONCACAF guy. <laughs> that's not how I want to sound. Trust me, I'm the CONCACAF guy, right? But like, you know, I, I think Salcedo would be a perfectly fine option at right back in CONCACAF. It's a different story, as we saw at the Confederations Cup when you're playing. Uh, Germany or Portugal or Russia even. So uh, I think this is positive that he's getting minutes, like I said. I mean, the big thing is just anyone getting time. And the fact that he's doing it in a three-man back line, I think sometimes when Osorio has used the three-man or five-man back line, however he's sort of aligned it, I think there's been a, a, a serious level of confusion there. You know, national team, international play is hard a lot of times because you only have two days or three days to sort of figure out how things are working. Osorio is very... You know, heady. He has a lot of ideas that that maybe aren't getting transmitted as well as they need to in those in that brief period of time. So, any player who's doing something a little different than he's used to, I think, is a is a big positive. Uh, do I want to see Carlos Salcedo as the as the right back in a four man back line? Not really. But but again, I guess this helps you get a little closer to the level where maybe he needs to be. I don't know. What about him as the right center back next to Moreno? Yeah. Because, I, I, I mean, he's tall. We all know that's what he likes the tall guys. Yeah, that, is true, man. <laughs> that is true. No, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a definite possibility. And, and maybe he's, you know, look, and this is why we got to watch this, because maybe, you know, if he's getting minutes at center back, Reyes isn't getting minutes at all, maybe he surpasses, you know, and, and, and sort of becomes the, the best option for Mexico there. I think it's, uh, I, I would, even when he moved to Frankfurt, I think we were looking at, at oh, well, maybe this would be a good opportunity for him to, to, to get time at center back and, and maybe sort of uh, increase there. Obviously, that's what he was doing for, for most of his career, so I'm not saying that he, he isn't familiar with the position. But, but again, playing it at that high level I think is important. That's why you want your players playing abroad is so they have this experience in competitive atmospheres. So, uh, yeah, I, I could definitely see it. I mean, But, again, then the question becomes who's a right back? Is it Diego Reyes? Because then you're sort of back in a loop. Yeah, I find it interesting that he went to Fiorentina last, uh, last year and um... – he played uh, pretty much did the same thing. He played on the right side of a three-man back line, or he played a right wing back the whole time he was there. So he really hasn't got any center back minutes in, in Europe. He's pretty much played on the right side of a three-man back line or a right wing back. Um, 
we talked about this a little off the air, um, but uh, Marco Fabian, he's still hurt. Uh, by all accounts, he's training, but not you know, doing anything physical with the team. And with the Bundesliga break coming up, I don't see him playing any games this this half. I mean, I see him getting some minutes in the friendlies. But um, Rafa, do you think it, it's be, it becomes an issue of uh, him and Gio for, uh, for Russia? Yeah, you're right. We, we were talking about this off air. Uh, I, I think it's going to come down to either Michael Fabiano or Gio. If, if I mean these these next two friendlies go go as we think they're going to go, uh, but it's tough. I mean, it, I mean, we spoke a little about how every time we see sort of Gio and Marco Fabian play more centrally, we we haven't really seen him shine. Um, I mean, w- whether you you like Marco Fabian as a wide player or a central player. Uh, I don't know. Has he convinced you? Because uh, I mean, I personally never thought he was anything special with the national team. I- I'm not sure what you think. I mean, I don't know what you guys think. I thought he played really, really well at Frankfurt last year. Once he got going, he was he was one of the best attacking midfielders in the Bundesliga for a while. And he just out of nowhere, I didn't. I thought he was on his way out. I mean, he hardly played. He had some issues with the manager allegedly. Um, I mean, I think didn't Marco Fabian's dad pretty much say his manager was racist or yeah. something? <laughs> but he played really well. He was a focal point for them. I mean, they were almost relegated, and the next year they made it back up to mid-table. So I think he was gonna. I thought it was gonna be a breakout year for him, but I mean, the bat back injury and those are tricky to come back from. So I mean, I, he should be ready to go late later this year, early next year. So by the time the Bundesliga gets back going in like the third week in January, I think he should be ready to play. But I don't. I mean, I know. I think I can see him. I can see him making Russia, but I just don't see him and Geo. And I don't know what uh, Brian or John think about that debate. I mean, what do you guys stand on that? Uh, John, you can go ahead first. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they are. They do bring similar things to the table. And and if Geo is doing sort of the same, if he's playing the same quality he is now, I don't think he's showed very well at all in the last few Mexico games. Uh, and, and you know if Fabian is able to come in, then then that's great. I think a lot depends on Fabian's timetable. You know, as much as it's true that that we are going to have an opportunity to see these guys a couple more times in a national team setting, there's not a ton of games. I mean, if he's not healthy for those March, you know, if he's not healthy and at 100%, I guess for those March, for that March FIFA window, I, I think you do have to start to wonder: Is this a guy who I can call in and depend on? Is he going to be comfortable in the system? Sure, the players know him. He, he has good camaraderie with the with the guys and everything. But I think a lot of it depends on how quickly he's able to recover his level um, before we see how he does uh, back on the field in competition. I think it's a little difficult to compare. I can easily see him being part of that that spots twenty four through thirty that Mexico has to name. For uh, if, even if he doesn't, even if him or Gio don't make it, I, I bet I can see them being. I'm part of that, that. Those seven extra guys that gets called in in case someone gets hurt. But I just, I don't, I just don't see them happening. I just don't see both of them going. I mean, what do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think it's going to come down to if he recovers, he's healthy. Uh, I mean, actually, actually, he's got like the he's got a really good situation coming up here. Uh, Frankfurt's playing good, so if they for them, it's like, hey, you're getting a player that shined last season. So if he can come in and kind of show that and carry that momentum, I mean, Gio would have to have some phenomenal stats to, in my opinion, beat 
a regular with Frankfurt like he did last season. So, I, I mean, to me, if, if that But happens, what's that? Gio's not going to play another meaningful game till what, middle of March? <laughs> yeah, I, I, well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Is like once he gets in the, gets back into play, I mean, I don't know. Because, like, we, we haven't really seen – and then, you know, we haven't really seen him do what he was doing at least at Villarreal. And it's kind of a lot of, like, walking around, and now he's, you know, he's complaining about – players aren't finding him they're not finding his runs so i mean i don't know i if, if fabian gets a rhythm i think he's in to be to be honest and let's just touch on a couple guys i mean just real quick uh antuna he just got his first career start today well the first in the in RDC. i don't see him making any noise for 2018 but i mean i like that he got called up um have you seen much of him john no, honestly, yeah. I haven't been able to see much at all. I mean, he hasn't played all that much either, so I, don't, I can't really speak all that much on him. Yeah, I mean, me neither. I mean, I, I think, Rafa, we talked about it. I mean, we're just happy he's bringing younger players for experience, but um, I, let's just talk about Govea real quick. I've seen a couple games of him play. I mean, I think he's – it obviously makes sense to call him up. I mean, the first game's in Belgium. I mean, I don't know if he's going to see any time. 26 players. He might be one of those three guys left off, but, I mean, have any of you guys seen a Govea play much? Uh, yeah, I've seen uh, one game um, where I believe he scored that free kick um, pretty late. I think it was this, the game ceiling or one of the go-ahead goals, I think. But, yeah, he's been playing very well, and I think the situation for him um, is very good because obviously we still have a long way to go for the World Cup. And as we were talking before the podcast started, um, you know, he's got a lot of talk about him right now because he's, he's doing this loan where he needs to prove himself and he's starting to prove himself. So give him the minutes maybe, maybe give him a shot to, hey, if he can carry himself with the national team shirt on, we got another, you know, a player to look at. Let's say if Jonah doesn't pan out um, or isn't playing well or unfortunately picked up an injury, you need to start looking at other options. Here's a guy who has a situation where he needs to kind of step up and he, he's doing so. So I, I really like this idea of calling him up right now. It just makes sense. I mean, it's like, it's like a half hour drive probably from his house. I don't know. It's, it's nothing crazy. Um. <laughs> the other thing is I think it speaks to Osorio and, and most managers and, and CONCACAF and I think probably in general, uh, the desire to have young players go abroad early and, and sort of prove themselves and get minutes, even if you're not in a flashy team. You know, I think it's very easy for players making good money to say, uh, well, I'm going to stay in the Yamekis, I'm going to stay in MLS, you know, even in Costa Rica, you know, I'm going to stay in the domestic league and play, you know, sign a good, good, you know, uh, nice contract with Saprisa or whoever. But, you know, Govea is not playing in a top league, but at the same time, he's getting really good experience. He gets rewarded with a call-up, and I think it's sort of a message from Osorio to say, look, like, yeah, I, you know, Govea, I would be stunned to see him in Russia, but, you know, he's going to be in with a national team and, and certainly is on the radar for future calls. So uh, I think it's good. I, I've seen him a couple times. Uh, seems like a, a sort of strong player in the middle. I actually was hoping, this is, like, poetic because he's playing in Belgium, but the last match it was in San Luis Potosi where he's from. They're like wild about him there. I talked to multiple local reporters who are, oh yeah, you know Govea, yeah, 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 I know him. But uh, so everyone's like really proud that he's a uh, Potosino and everything. But uh, yeah, I, I think it's great that he's in, and, and uh, hopefully he can kind of show what he can do. And like I said, maybe he's an example for for more players to to take the jump, take the risk, and uh, and, and yeah, he's on loan from a bigger club in Europe. But but even so, getting minutes and and that paying off with a national team call. 
Um, I have a question for you guys because, I mean, I haven't seen him play personally. Uh, I know, I mean, he was described as sort of a defensive midfielder, I guess, during the U-17 World Cup. Uh, but I'm sure his position has evolved in, in these last few years. I mean, what what position would you describe? Uh, like, what position does he play? Like, what what is he, an interior midfielder, a defensive midfielder, a creative midfielder? What is he? Because, honestly, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other people who haven't seen him play and are wondering the same thing. Uh, and I don't know if he'll get playing time, but, I mean, I'm sure Osorio will, will probably get a pretty good assessment of what kind of player he is. But for a lot of us who haven't seen him play, what do you, what do you guys think his position is or what kind of style of play he brings to the table? He's, a, he's an interior midfielder. You guys can jump in as well. He's an interior midfielder who is certainly not afraid to push forward. I mean, we've seen him have a couple goals and, and be involved in the creation of goals as well. Uh, Maybe it's cliche to say like he's hard nosed, but I, you know he's he's I think he's quite good at finding the ball, recovering, and making a good tackle. And then uh, from there, maybe this is where he needs to work at, at sort of recycling and, and passing uh, immediately upon recovering the ball. But he he plays in the middle for sure, and is uh, uh, I'd say hungry for the ball, and then can definitely help pushing into the attack, maybe on a delayed run or or as we saw with three kicks as well. Would you guys say that's accurate? Yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. And one thing that Brian brought up, he he's taking I. I'm not sure if he's taking all the all the dead ball situations, but I know he's taking every corner kick and most of the free kicks too for that team. So I think I think that says a lot that you know he can put the ball where he wants to put it. Yeah, I, I, he's from what I've seen, he's been pretty versatile. Uh, he can play in that central central de, uh, defensive mid spot, but I think if he if Osorio plays him, if he does a you know a three four three, I think he's be taking wherever Guardado's at that kind of role. Um, but yeah, I think he's got a lot of versatility with him, so that's another upside to calling him now to see where he is in practice, in the formation, you know. So this is another upside to him. And just real brief, brief touch on a couple guys. Um, I haven't seen him play yet there, but Boyo Briseño, has any of you guys checked him out yet? I know he's he's been playing last month. He started three three out of the last four games for his club, and it seems like he's kind of settling in there. I mean, I thought he was way older. He's only 23. <laughs> I yeah, I, I thought he was older too, like 28. <laughs> yeah, so did I. Oh. Yeah. He just turned 23 a couple months ago, so I was like shocked. I'm like, oh god, I'm like, oh yeah, he's a Tigers guy, which means Stuka didn't play him because he's not, he's under 30. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't really seen much of him uh, other than the the one Benfica game because I was obviously trying to track where I was going to play, but uh, not, other than that, nothing, nothing else. But I mean, he's 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 out of contract, so it's not like he's on loan or anything, right? As anyone, I think he terminated think his contract with Tigres, right? So he just he's just he's a Ferenza player. He's not on loan or anything, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think he's signed. I mean, that's great, though. I mean, in a big. I mean, I don't think he has. Does he have a couple caps? Maybe a couple like B team caps. Maybe. <laughs> maybe in a January. It's funny because I was probably sitting in a game that he was in, if if he was, but I can't really recall. Yeah, he doesn't have any A-team. Let's just say he's got a bunch of Moleto games in January, probably, on his record. But, I mean, that's good to see, you know, him taking a younger player taking a chance going abroad. I mean, I'm sure he could have got a nice little deal with a lower-level Liga MX team. Yeah, it was a surprising uh, move when it happened. It was like, what? It's like he was, he, had already, he was on someone's radar, like, you know, but... Uh... 
I think he was at Veracruz, no? In yeah, the, I think so, yeah. I mean, I just, yeah. I, up until a couple, like a week ago, I was just like, man, I've heard about him forever. And then I looked at him like, oh my God, he's only 23. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, speaking of young guys, real quick, I don't I don't know if anyone's seen either of these guys plays, but uh, Joao Milik at Porto, who's on loan from Santos, is just tearing it up. Um, and uh, Paulo Medina, who left uh, one of the Real Madrid youth clubs and is doing, he's pretty much an automatic starter for uh, Benfica at the right back situation. So, has any of you guys either seen seen them play? I know I've seen highlights of Joao Milik because he's got like seven goals in like twelve games. But yeah, just highlights. But uh, that's a that's been a really good move. Uh, right now, I mean, granted, it's not, you know, it's not first team, but he scored in the uh, U19 uh, Champions League game. So this is this is another thing. Like you, they make this signing, he's starting to prove himself. He's getting that confidence. Uh, you know, watch out because that, you know that's another kid on the radar. And I have I have not seen Medina play yet. No, I haven't. I, haven't seen, I mean, he's a right back too. So it's not like you're gonna find highlights of a right back. <laughs> right. Right. But the fact that he keeps playing, I mean, that's good. And that those are two teams that will promote from within. And uh, this is this is the third time Porto gets a player from Mexico on loan with the buy option. So two for two, they bought they bought Godinho and they bought Govea. So we'll see with this one. That's exciting. Uh, I mean, that kind of wraps up Mexicans abroad. I mean, well, I guess do you have any comments, John, on uh, Kubo Torres? <laughs> Wilmer Cabrera, you know, he's like the Cuba whisperer from the US <laughs> USA days, and he just keeps rolling them out there for Houston. When Manotas, the uh, the sort of, I guess, backup, if you want to call him that, when he comes in, honestly, I think the Dynamo sort of function better. Kubo, uh, yeah, look, he'll probably get called up for that January 31st game in San Antonio because the forward depth for Mexico you know, especially in the domestic league is not great, and those that game isn't on a FIFA date. As far as a World Cup, no, no, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. I think he's, uh, uh, I don't think he's regressed necessarily, but I, I don't see any progress from Kubo. I don't love exactly what he's doing with Houston, so uh, I'd be surprised if Osorio feels differently. But uh, he certainly felt differently than me about players before, so uh, it's not totally out of the question. But I think we'll probably see him in January, and then probably won't see him again until the next cycle. That sounds about right. <laughs> I said that as being a Kubo fan, but I mean, he started off hot the first two months, three months of MLS. He had like 10 goals, but then he had like three goals the rest of the year. So kind of fizzled out. Um, let's see, touched on it. Yeah, we, we kind of touched on everyone. Mexicans abroad. Uh, I mean, Hector Moreno is the only one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, John not. brought him up, but I, I, what is there to talk about? I mean, he. When he started off there, the Roma manager said he was carrying a knock from Confederations Cup, and they're going to work him in slowly. I mean, he's got a couple minutes. He had a couple starts in a row, but nothing where he's consistently coming off the bench. He's, I've seen him get a couple sub appearances as left back, but he's he's Mexico center left center back. He's the one guy who I know is going to start every game he's healthy for. Does anyone disagree with that? <laughs> no. Well, with, with Osorio, who knows? But it, for the most part, for the most part, yes, I believe so. But yeah, I think he had like three three games where he played two starts, and then he sat the uh, Chelsea game. So we'll just keep an eye out because it seems like he's starting to get a little bit more recognition here. So hopefully, it keeps going. Yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, um, his roster. All right. Well, I'll let you get first crack at this one, Rafa. Um, what are your quick Quick thoughts on the roster. 
Any any snubs? Any surprises for you? And then like we'll go around the the round table here. Oh, I think again off air we talked a little bit about this roster. Uh, you know, just one of the things that I've always been a fan about Juan Carlos Osorio is the fact that he he never seems to have uh, you know these players which we call sort of like favorites, which is always what Mexican media goes crazy about how certain manager has like these players who like he really likes. It doesn't matter like if they're playing like crap, he just still calls them up for whatever reason. Uh, you know, his little favorite players. You know, this roster seems like that to me for the first time. And I know, it, it, I mean, we think the World Cup is like far away, but it's, you know, just a few months away. Um, so I understand maybe you want to give these guys, you know, maybe just, you know, that that chemistry right before the tournament starts. Uh, but, I mean, there are guys here who, I, I mean, Giovanni Santos to touch one who I think hasn't been doing very well. Uh, I mean, just to post some criticism, of course. Uh, the good thing is we see the young, these youngsters like Antuna and, and Gobea and like John said, you know, rewarding them for, for taking that risk. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, it, no surprises. Uh, um, Hugo Yala is maybe another one which has been questioned in the past. Uh, but, you know, overall, it's a solid squad. You know, there, is, there isn't that too many complaints, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what you think. But, uh, again, just there are, there are certain players, again, Giovanni Los Santos, Dam, who, who I know was, was in action earlier right now with Tigres, uh, who were in front last I checked. But, um, you know, he hasn't been all, all that great either. Uh, but it's somebody who Juan Carlos Osorio really likes. Um, and, you know, um, the same can be said about other guys like Oliver Peralta. But, I mean, when you, like John said, when it comes to forward depth, there isn't much to talk about. Uh, albeit Oliver Peralta has done well with Club America in the last few uh, weeks, if not months. Uh, but, again, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's a solid squad. I, I like to see guys like Cesar Montes and Edson Alvarez also get their chance. I, I think they can bring uh, something interesting into the table, especially defensively speaking. All right, uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, no, I actually agree with him, um, especially when you, especially seeing Alvarez now, from the Gold Cup to now, get get his call and like be a regular on this squad. But for the most part, this this roster doesn't surprise me. Um, like I said, for the most part, I don't know if we're gonna dive into this a little more, but it's it's his, I think Osorio is kind of conflicting his message. Uh, he, obviously, he, he promotes highest level competition. Obviously, Jonah and Gio take a step to the MLS where, you know, they're a bigger fish in a smaller pond. But now they're not even playing and they're getting a call. So to me, that's his version of almost saying, hey, you kind of don't have too much to worry about because I've got you in the final in the final list. Um, because if right now they're not, they're not even playing, it's. This is a very crucial time to be getting in form, and they're you know they're not in the playoffs, so I, that was a very big question mark to me. But for everybody else, um, not too surprising. And you know, like I said, with the younger kids, you know, the Antuna and Govea, you know, give, maybe give them a few minutes. Depends on how how well the game's going. Um, but other than that, there's no really huge surprises for me. Uh, let me ask you, Brian, because I know you follow Club America. Does it make a big difference to you or no difference at all that Edson Alvarez is like listed as a midfielder? Uh, yeah, that'll be interesting. But like as we have seen with Osorio and as Alvarez said in the Gold Cup, like 
when he was put on the on the right side, he's like, that's not my traditional spot. He said though that he's comfortable as a center back or a defensive mid. So if he's if he says he's comfortable, then I believe him. You know what I mean? Did he play as right back in the, in the Gold Cup? Yeah, yeah. He, he didn't and, look that bad. Yeah, he and uh, Duenas were overlapping a lot, and especially in the Honduras and in the uh, El Salvador game in San Diego. Like he had to pretty much re- readjust everything as he was kind of saying there. But he says, "Hey, if the coach trusts me, then I'm going to play there." But um, he says his he's preferred center back or defensive mid. Uh, John, do you see any snubs? Any guys you would rather plug in there as opposed to who Osorio called up? Maybe some guys in uh, Liga MX maybe that you thought deserved the shot? The only guy who I maybe would have or even expected to be added instead of uh, and, and wasn't on the roster is Elias Hernandez with Leon. He's been playing really well. I didn't think he had a, he had a pretty phenomenal Gold Cup as well as anyone could have, I guess, in the Gold Cup the way it ended. But at the same time, I mean, I think you look at Jurgen Dam and Elias Hernandez. Dam probably provides you more than Hernandez does potential-wise. You know, clearly Hernandez is in better form. He's playing better right now. But even when you look at previous performances with Mexico, I think Dam uh, maybe gets the edge when you look at, like, the, the year in general. Uh, I think it was the Costa Rica qualifier that he came in late and sort of helped Mexico kill off the one of the Azteca uh, in March. So I think, you know, maybe that, that one gets justified in that way. But I wouldn't mind seeing Hernandez there. As far as the Dos Santos brothers, I think Osorio sees it in a different way than they're not playing right now. I can't call them in because they're, they're you know, they're not in good form. And I've said that I need players who are in form, who are in the highest level. I think it's a situation of the reality is these guys aren't playing right now. And if I don't call them in for this camp, well, they're not going to be getting high-level competition. They're not going to be training under my watch. They're going to be doing their own thing, you know, who knows what. So I think he he brings those in almost as a necessity. You kind of have to call those guys in to make sure they are still in some sort of rhythm. And also, you know, we know how obsessive Osorio and the staff are about, like, physical plans and training and the body in general. I think that bringing those guys in is sort of maybe a little reminder of, here's the plan that we have for you. These are the things you need to be doing during the offseason and sort of almost a checkup. You know, this is what you need to be doing in the next few months. And if you're not doing it, then uh, you're not going to Russia. Do you think, John, that he pretty much, if he had any any thought that either of these guys are going to make it to Russia, he thought, like you said, I have to call these guys in just to see where, that, where they're at physically, just to see what's going on? I think he has to bring them to keep them in rhythm and keep them sort of in in the mix, I guess. I mean, I guess if you're a coach, the options are, the way I see it is the options are you have these guys not playing at all you know, not training with a club. Although I think, you know, it, actually a lot of people don't know this. MLS clubs can continue to train until a certain date. I think it's three weeks after. So they're still going. Uh, and I think those guys are both still in training with the Galaxy uh, until they go join up with the national team. So there are still training sessions, but obviously you're not preparing for a game. You're not doing anything too intensive. Um, so, But your choices are basically doing that or training to get ready to play two top 10 FIFA teams. It's a no-brainer. You got to get those guys in get them the rhythm and and of course national team coaches i think are sort of uh jealous for for players times you know they don't get a lot of time with the players they don't get a lot of time to get in their ear to to have them doing what they want to in training sessions necessarily so i think that i think both of those guys are very much in the picture geo less than john of course because of his his dip in form and, and difficult stretches with the national team but 
I think they're both very much still in the picture, and I think Osorio brings them in because of that, because he's already... You know, look, when you, when you look at the roster in general, I think he's consolidating. Yeah, they're two new guys, but they're young guys. They probably won't see any time. I think this is a group that you're going to see. What did he say? 35 players that are on his list for consideration. So I think we're going to keep seeing this group for future Mexico rosters. And, uh, and it's time, you know, it's time to start shaving, shaving guys off and, and saying, you know, you know, even if it's Elias Hernandez, yeah, you're playing great. Unfortunately, you're not someone who I see as a, as a contributing factor in Russia. So you're not on the roster. Uh, I think that's sort of maybe the theme of the roster is consolidation. It's, it's time. This is the group. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. It's just kind of like, yeah, Elias, you're hot right now, but regardless, I don't see you making Russia. So I'm not going to quote unquote waste a spot on you. I guess I can see that. Um, Sound harsh, but I mean, I yeah, I know, I know. Potential <laughs> is maybe a little is, is bigger than than Hernandez is in Russia, and so because of that, maybe that's why he's in the group. Yeah, no, I agree. But yeah, he's take nothing away from Elias, so he is hot right now. He is. He's playing great. Yeah. Um, let's just go through the squad. I mean, we got Corona, Cota, and Ochoa as the keepers. We didn't really talk about Ochoa when we were talking about Mexicans abroad, but. I'm just glad he got out of Spain. He was that defense was like the worst defense I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. No, so he's he's getting minutes. He's doing okay at Standard Liege. But um, um, Rafa, do you these three guys is that is that who we're bringing to Russia? Corona, Cota, Ochoa. I think you see a healthy Talavera in there. If he's healthy, you. Those are your top three, Ochoa, Corona, and Talavera. Isn't he, if, Not, if he's healthy, isn't he only going to come back like in February? So, I mean, is he going to get any games in? Uh, I assume so. I mean, I, yeah. I think there's some rumors right now that Chivas might, might want to put a bid on him if Bota decides to. Well, they can't negotiate for Bota with Pachuca. There's, there's so many rumors going on right now. But, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's Ochoa, Corona, and Talavera. There's no question about it. Uh, I like Bota, but do I think he's, I mean, I don't think he's at the level of Corona or Choa when they're at the best, or even at Talavera. Uh, I think they're arguably the best, the, the three more experienced goalkeepers in the roster and the three best goalkeepers in the roster. Uh, well, I like Kota, and I think we bring in this, you know, this idea that the, this roster uh, is good for bringing guys like Govea and Antuna. I think we talked about it earlier. How maybe you could have brought in um, Gudinho from Apoel. Why not? Uh, this was a really good opportunity to have him maybe come to training and you know just have him live that experience. Uh, I, I know maybe I don't know maybe Osorio did ask for him and you know Apoel denied. Uh, you never know. But I mean, it, it, if we go through through the whole process of you know bringing in a guy like Antuna and uh, and you know, Gobea, why not a guy like Gudinho, who I think there there is no debating that he when we think of goalkeepers uh that have the, the potential to start for Mexico in the future, he, he's definitely in the discussion. Uh, I, I don't know what you think. Um I think yeah, I think these are the guys we're gonna go. Uh I wanna ask John a quick question on um on uh, Jesse Gonzalez. How's how what is how is he how did he finish off the year at uh, Dallas, FC Dallas? He's a he's a U.S. player now, so I'm just curious. You think he had it? Would it have any chance? Would have had any no, chance I, of breaking? I guess getting on the plane to Russia. I don't think so. I mean, I think 
Uh, yeah, I, I think it's Ochoa, Corona, and healthy Talavera. If if Talavera isn't healthy, clearly Cotto has become the, the, the fourth option, I guess. I, I was a little surprised uh, not to see Gudinho sort of, yeah, like you said, on the Atuna Covea plan, kind of. Just kind of, you know, hey, welcome. You know, it's a short flight. Welcome. And uh, this is how it works, you know. Um, I, I don't know. Gonzalez is a talented goalkeeper. Uh, he, he made some mistakes. FC Dallas' defense really fell apart down the stretch. Uh, so I, I don't know that he would have been able to put himself into the discussion for this this cycle. I wouldn't be surprised to see him as one of the top choices for the U.S. in the next cycle, but I think it's still a little early for him. He's, he's still got some, some stuff to learn as far as positioning and definitely you know control of the defense. I think that's sort of underrated thing in evaluating goalkeepers is how they sort of communicate with the back line. Uh, it wasn't there for him this year. So uh, he had a good year and was one of the bright spots for FCD, but that's not saying much in a disappointing campaign. Uh, do you think Mexico is missing out on anything by not having him in the fold? No, I mean, I think part of the reason he went U.S. is because he's, I think he had the brighter international potential there. It's difficult to tell. It's difficult to forecast. I remember even when Yarborough made his decision to go U.S. over Mexico, it was sort of, oh, you know, you know, he was like the eighth or ninth goalkeeper on the Mexico depth chart, fifth or sixth in the U.S., so it makes sense for him to do that because he has a better chance in the U.S. than Mexico, maybe, which is weird to say in a position where the U.S. is so deep, like goalkeeper. But I'm not sure. I mean, I think he's a talented goalkeeper. I wouldn't be surprised, like I said, to see him at a World Cup with the U.S. But it's not like Mexico isn't producing good goalkeepers, doesn't have young goalkeepers in the pipeline. Uh, I sort of think it's it's fun to talk about, and I definitely get, you know, tracking it and watching it. I've certainly contributed with the stories and everything is sort of adding to the chatter. But ultimately, I think it's sort of up to these guys, and, and maybe you do sort of miss out on a player, but ultimately, especially at the goalkeeper position, I think both of these teams are, are still fine. Yeah, I remember the hype around him when he got his, like, what, one of his first career starts in the playoffs, like, two, three years ago. Yeah. And he was like, what, 18, 19 at the time? Yeah, I think it was 19. Yeah. 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 It was against Seattle, too, wasn't it? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the defense, uh, Brian, do you see anyone here you don't expect to see in Russia or has no chance? I know we talked about Hugo Ayala always crapping the bed when he puts on that jersey, but what are your thoughts? Uh, I would like to say... It's a no chance, but it looks like it is a chance, especially if he's coming to play um, in these two games, which are two very, very difficult opponents in their own home. So if he's making the if he's making the rounds here, I, I think he's very much able to be making that Russia squad. Um, but I he doesn't impress me anytime he plays with Mexico. Ne- neither Duenas or even. Uh, Hernandez we were talking about because he's playing good for Leon but th- some of those players just it's a different ball game when they come to the national team I don't know what it is but and in the defense but in the defense no one else is surprisingly uh, not there I don't think I mean for the, for this moment you know I think it's good to see Montes Alvarez obviously Reyes and Moreno so I think we see in Salcedo and it's a good line. It's a good, uh, good options there for Osorio. Um, Rafa, since you're the Pumas fan, what do you feel about Gallardo as a defender? Uh, Gallardo as a defender. 
he's he's still got a lot to learn. I mean, he's Pumas has just been terrible. But I think he, his best position is as a wide player, as you know, left midfielder, right midfielder. But defensively speaking, he still has a long way to go. Uh, am I? That, that's another guy where I get why he's there, but is he really playing? I mean, he scored a goal today, but. Uh, is he really playing at a level where you know he can compete with, uh, you know, uh, a healthy Layun, for example? I don't. Uh, excuse me, Layun with with a, with any rhythm of play, let's say, compared to Jesus Gallardo, I think you start Layun. Uh, the thing with Gallardo is, I mean, there's there's even rumors that you know Chivas want him at the moment, but he he's a good player. He's he, he's technically very well. He's technically very good. He's physically very good. Um, I I think there's potential that that he will be in Russia, just because there's such a lack of left-footed players in Mexico. Uh, I know maybe we'll talk about Guti later, which has also been terrible. I mean, I love Guti, but every time he puts on the Mexico jersey, he he just doesn't perform at the same level. But the fact that he's left-footed in Mexico just don't have any left-footed players gives him some sort of like advantage over the rest of the midfielders uh, in our depth chart. Uh, I like Gallardo. I think he he has the potential to be in Russia, but do I think you know he'll be lights out and he'll be like the surprise player in Russia? I doubt it. Uh, I don't think he'll probably. I don't think he'll start unless you know there's a major injury to Layun or something. Um, but I, I, as a Pumas fan, I, I hope he stays in Pumas and I, and I hope he he continues to develop. Uh, you know that skill set where he can play either as a left back or. Uh, or as a winger, or as a midfielder, wherever the case may be, because he he, he has potential. And he's a really good player. Uh, now my focus here is again back to Edson Alvarez and a guy like Cesar Montes. Uh, I know that there isn't any Chivas fans right here uh, at the moment, but when it comes to like center backs, do, do you prefer a guy like Cesar Montes or a guy like Jai Pereira, who I think are very similar, uh, no nonsense defenders? I think Cesar Montes was a uh, sorry sort of plugged him in. And, I forgot what game it was, but sort of late in the game, just, you know, bring in an extra defender and put in Cesar Montes and try to preserve the lead. Is this something Juan Carlos, Juan Carlos Osorio sees in Montes as a guy, you know, maybe not as a starter, but, you know, in late game situations when you're protecting a lead, do you bring in a center, an extra center back and put in Cesar Montes? Because, you know, uh, size-wise, he's, he's a very tall defender. You know, he's very good in the air. Uh, but at the same time, you have a guy like Jair Pereira who sort of has that same pedigree. Um, you know, th- there are options defensively, uh, but, I mean, I don't know what you guys think. Do you, you guys prefer a guy like Cesar Montes, a, a young guy like Cesar Montes, who who certainly, uh, you know, grow, you know, sort of learn from this experience, especially if he goes to the World Cup? Or do you bring in a guy who's more experienced, like Jair Pereira, who already knows how what it means to win a title? Uh, and can you, you can sort of plug into late-game situations and, you know, preserve a lead. Um, that's one of the, I, I know a lot of Chivas fans were not happy that Jair Pereira was not there, albeit he's always suffering some sort of injury, especially when he joins the national team. But I mean, I, I, I like to know what you guys think about that. To me, and this is what I was going to say about the defenders in general, I think this is where you see the clearest sort of progression from the Gold Cup. Gallardo played well, both as a, as a wide player, attacking and as a left back. Alvarez was really good at, at right back. Montes got his first minutes, played, you know, I think sort of how we've used to see him play. And I think he's increased his reputation uh, with really good showings with, with Monterrey this season. So I think 
that sort of speaks to and Pereira, you know, he hasn't been horrible, but as you mentioned, I mean, he's coming off an injury. Chivas has been poor this year. Uh, and I do, I, I personally, and I don't know, maybe this is a source of philosophy, maybe not, but I personally would rather see with the 20, you know, 2, 23, or 20th slots, I guess, maybe somebody who, you know, you're going to bring to the next World Cup. So uh, I, I don't think Pereira fits in that category, whereas Montes, I think, is definitely one for the future. So I, I don't know if it's a guy who's, who's going to play even in a Russia situation or even in these friendlies, although I think, you know, you're going to see plenty of, uh, fresh faces with with the friendly substitutions and everything, but to me that's this is a sort of hey these guys had a good Gold Cup they're guys for the future let's bring them in in sort of the bottom roster slots and see how they pan out. I mean, do you guys really want to bring Pereira to Russia when that dude gets injured like every other training session with Mexico? I don't. I'm just speaking. I'm just speaking <laughs> for those Chivas fans who are not with us right now. I mean, I personally would prefer Montes. Here, I'll take the hit from the Chivas fans who are listening. I'll take the hit right now. Chivas fans, Chivas fans complain when Mexico brings in half their squad, and then they get mad. And then when Mexico doesn't call any of the players, they get mad. So it's just like, which one is it, guys? <laughs> I know the straight go. He's gonna listen. He's gonna hit me up on Twitter, yell at me. But I mean, pick one. Like, are you guys mad that they don't get called in? Or you guys are mad that they, they, when they do get called in and they can't play those Mulatto games in, like, California in the middle of the week? I don't know. Yeah. Well, look at Polito. He got hurt in the Paraguay game. So, and that was like, hey, why did you? Why is he playing? <laughs> it's like, great, now we don't have him. <laughs> I want to talk about Polito when we get to the forwards, but let's just go to the midfielders. Um, I mean, I guess we can – some of those forwards that they have, I guess, could be midfielders, but – I mean, anyone, any midfielder not in here, you can see making it. I mean, maybe like, maybe Guti if he performs first half 2018. But I don't. I think this is kind of it, right, John? This this is what we're taking. Yeah, I mean, we talked about uh, Fabian Guti. If he can get a little better, Orbelin, I think maybe he's in the same category. You know, he had a bad tournament, but I think he still has a lot of potential. Well, and... real quick, John, do you see any Chivas players making it? Because it kind of seems like kind of snubbed all of them out. Uh, yeah, I mean, Cota. Uh, well, he's gonna be Pachuca. He's gonna be Pachuca player by the time the 2018 comes around. Oh, yeah, that's right. He just posted that tweet like, uh, "Hey, peace out, guys." Um, I don't know. I probably look. I I don't know who do you take. I mean, maybe Pulido. But you know, you gotta you gotta play better. They had a horrible tournament when they've been in the national team. I don't know that any of them had phenomenal performances in recent memory so maybe not which is which is kind of wild I, I think Orbelin maybe is the is the top candidate but again like he he didn't I don't know he hasn't done much for me over the past several months so so maybe not the other guy and I, I already heard I can't remember who it was sorry uh but Duenas just because he's so versatile I mean you know you can put him in as a right back you can put him in, in the midfield I, I don't think I don't see him jumping into the roster necessarily, but I do think he's the kind of guy who maybe could make a late push. And and at the World Cup, managers want to have those kind of players who they can put into, especially a guy like Osorio. I mean, you can plug him into a number of different roles. So I think he's a he's an outside possibility of someone who is not on this list but could maybe make it into Russia. Um, yeah, Duenas, I mean, I, like, I agree. You bring him in as a versatile player, but... I think we talked about this before, Brian. If when he's the number one option in a position, I just feel uneasy. Especially he's our he's our right back. I'm just like, oh yeah. man. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, but he still get, he still gets called up, you know. So, so oh, sorry, like something in him. So, he's I definitely think he's on that thirty-five name, you know, provisional list there. Um, well, Rafa, to get I want to get your thoughts on on the guy you were obviously named after. Is Marquez going to go to Russia? Wow, didn't see that one coming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's that's a tough one. I mean, doesn't he have his legal problems right now? I mean, can he even leave the country? Yeah, he, I guess he just can't play in uh, America, right? <laughs> I think that's what the rule is right now. I don't know. I mean, ideally, you like to bring in a guy like that just because of the experience he brings in into the locker room. I mean, he's I mean, he's the captain. I mean, you have to have that sort of leadership when it comes to uh, a World Cup. I mean, you're stuck in a hotel for a month and a half, and you know you need to have that guy who just sort of like who's a leader, who who tells people what to do, who who sort of just like commands the whole team. So I mean, in that aspect, I think you have to have a guy like Rafa Marquez in the team. Uh, but it's tricky. I, I honestly don't know his legal situation. I don't know uh, if it carries any consequences if he takes a plane to Russia. I don't know. I mean, he's starting to play with Atlas, so that's a good sign. Uh, and he actually played well. I mean, he looked well for Atlas. Uh, I, I think Atlas really missed him. Uh, although, I mean, Chivas is just terrible this season. But, uh, I mean, he looked good in the Clásico Tapatio. Uh, I really don't know, to be honest, if, if he'll be in Russia. I mean, for real to me, he, he'd be the first one on the plane. Um, John, do you think uh, that, that leadership void, do you think Guardado has kind of grown into that where he can – or maybe you don't need Marquez so much as you got, you know, you got Guardado, a strong voice in the locker room, or is, or is Marquez still the number one guy where it's like the team needs him around to tell him, like, like Rafa was saying, what the hell to do? I think that role can be filled by other players. I think we've seen it filled by other players before in some respects. Marquez has the uh, hierarchy, I guess, to use sort of a Spanish translated into English word. Like, he definitely has that sort of history. and But I'm not sure that he's a phenomenal leader. He's your captain for sure. He's a good guy to have around. I think you do want him in Russia if he's able to go. And also if he's playing at, like, a good level. That's another thing is, like, just because he's back on the field, I guess, doesn't necessarily mean to me that he's one of the better players in the Mexico system. With that said, I think because of experience, his experience, you still do take him if you can. Uh, similarly, I'm not sure if you can or not right now. I don't know what this, the designation is. It's really weird because it's like it's not a crime. He's never been charged with a crime. But, you know, now he has some bank accounts but not all. It's, it's very convoluted. So I'm not sure. I, I think Mexico will be fine on the kind of leadership level, especially because when you look at sort of the candidates to be in the starting 11, most of those guys are guys who have played at a high level before, played in European Based teams, and I think they'll be fine either way on on the sort of leadership and locker room front. You know, when you're around Mexico, when you see the the players in training in the mix zone, in the press conferences, even you know, it's not a team that that seems rife for uh, a France 2010 type breakdown. So I, I think they'll be okay. I don't know, man. I just, I just need Rafa Marquez there. It's I haven't, <laughs> Rafa Marquez now. A World Cup feels weird, but. We'll see. <laughs> Moving on to Mexico's forwards. Um, I think 
I, it's, I wrote about this like a month or two ago, right before Polito was coming back from injury. I think he's hurt now again. But I think, is, is it Uribe going to be the domestic striker Mexico brings, uh, Brian? Or do you think someone else is going to step in and take that spot from him? Like, I thought Polito had an outside shot, but I think it's going to be Peralta in a 2018. Yeah, that's what it's looking like to, like to me. And I don't even think he's going to have a role where it's going to be like two strikers up top or he's the, he's the main striker or anything like that. I think he, the, what he's used for is Mexico's up 2-1 to one in the 78th minute, and they've only used one sub. They might bring in Oribe because, because he doesn't mind tracking back. <laughs> like, yeah. he, is, he, he hustles to stop the ball. So I think that's what he's going to be brought in for um, mainly. But I don't see anybody else from the Mexican league who's – really going to bump him out of that unless there's something phenomenal that happens you know between then and uh now and then yeah i think he's he's going to be the guy uh i earlier this year i thought you know maybe if kubo breaks out but nah it's going to be peralta he's just people write him off but he just keeps scoring goals in league mx and i, I think he's actually not the highest scoring mexican right now for once is it is it guzman maybe guzman yeah, yeah. and do you guys say what do you guys think about him not being on this roster <laughs> it sort of fits in with with uh, with with what Brian's saying about Oribe. Like, you you kind of have your your top group set. You need a guy who can come in and, and you can sort of trust to not only. I think that's a perfect situation you describe where he comes on with you if you have a lead. I think he's also a guy who comes on if you're down two nil in the 80th minute or whatever. You dump him on there. You get some crosses into the box. You know, you, you win a couple set pieces. He can head that ball in. So. I think he fits a couple. He ticks a couple of boxes as far as the uh, sort of archetype of player he is, the type of player that he is. Uh, that that Guzman certainly doesn't. I think he's a player who, uh, you know, has a bright future as well. But uh, Peralta, with the experience that he has, the fact that they wanted to, uh, they asked America if they could take him to the Gold Cup after the Confederations Cup. I think speaks to how highly the coaching staff thinks of him, and I definitely think he's a guy who they're going to keep including. And Rafa, you know, Osorio likes putting players in certain roles. Like that—that that is one thing he's well known for. Like, okay, this guy's a winger. He he burns on the line. That's his role. So yeah, I think what you guys are saying, like, that's that's Oribe's role. That is his uh, role. Well, I'm a big fan of Bolio. I think. I mean, excuse me, Peraza. Um, I mean he. He he's done a really good job. I, I mean, I I don't think we'll talk about Liga MX today, but. Uh, I know Club America has gone into a little downturn, but they're a good team. But back to Pulido as well. Uh, I think Pulido down the stretch last season, you know, I think he was probably the best player for Chivas. I mean, he was phenomenal. Uh, the way Matias Almeida utilized him, it, it, it was marvelous. I mean, he, I had not seen a, a Mexican forward play that well. I mean, just tactically speaking, I know he scored that, you know, it might have been a volley, which uh, gave Chivas the their ticket to the final, I think it was. Uh, but, I mean, he wasn't scoring goals left and right. But, I mean, just th- just his positioning, it, it was just great. He, he played really well. So it's a shame that he got injured right before the, uh, the Gold Cup. But uh, I don't know. I, I mean, forward-wise, when you talk about the options Mexico has, I mean, you have Chicharito, who I think is an automatic starter no matter what. Uh, but I, I, 
like I said with Raul Jimenez, uh, he could play you know in the middle. He could play as a winger. Uh, there are options. I mean, just in general, when you look at this whole roster and just the amount of players Mexico has, it's not like Juan Carlos Osorio has any excuses. This is a talented team. He has options left and right. Uh, I don't know what you guys think, but this is possibly one of the most uh, complete Mexico national teams in a while uh, because there's just so many options. You have guys playing in Europe. You have guys playing locally who, who like like we just mentioned, with Oliver Peralta, who can you know transform the team. I mean, this is a guy who can uh, track back, who can just like play multiple roles and uh, you know multiple roles as that number nine uh, because often. You have guys who who are the forwards, sure, but you know they're very limiting. Uh, but then you have guys who who even Chicharito, like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, who uh, traditionally we don't see Chicharito be a guy who sort of plays with his back to goal and you know just likes to you know spread the ball wide. I mean, we never saw Chicharito as that kind of player. But lately, with the Mexico national team, he, he he's been playing that role. He's been playing well. So I don't know if that speaks uh, you know good things about Juan Carlos Osorio teaching. His players, these new concepts, and, and you know his players trusting them and learning them, uh, or maybe it's just the fact that you know Mexico national team, the Mexican player per se, is just getting better. So I mean, there is no excuses from Carlos Osorio. This is a, a very good team, and uh, I think there's reason to be excited for you know not just these two friendlies, but going forward. Uh, and as a Mexico fan, and I hope, and I'm sure other Mexico fans, uh, you know, let's hope that maybe we will we'll actually get past the round of 16 this time. <laughs> Well, yeah, going in line with like what you're saying, I've, I've had a couple people on Twitter ask this question, so I'll ask just I'll ask each one of you guys. It's like Brian, what do you think is Mexico's weakest position on the field? Ooh, oh, that's a rough one. Um, I mean, do you? I mean, a defensive mid role, like if he does a four three three. I mean, because at, at some point we're talking about putting Rafa in there. Talking about putting Alvarez in there, and we're not really quite sure what to do in that spot. So I mean, I don't know. I don't like to say weak, like weakest, but biggest question mark maybe. Um, but but I mean, if you can't, if you know, I know some people might have not liked seeing Aguilar off off the list. Maybe that was another name we forgot to mention. Um, but I, maybe maybe it's right back if, if Layun's going to be playing on the on the left. So I, maybe. Defensive mid or right back? Do you agree with that, John? Right back for sure. Right I mean, back. I think, you know, in defensive midfield, you have some guys who can at least sort of cope. Uh, they they were definitely missing that sort of uh, grinder, I guess, in Russia. But I think you're 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 forcing in center backs at right back, and it's not working. What about what about Aguilad? Do you think he can make it to Russia? That, that's, that's another question I got from people. Like, what about Aguilad? Yeah, I was surprised not to see him in uh, September, I guess it was. They all kind of run together. Sorry. Yeah, September. Um, because I thought that was an opportunity where, you know, you could take a look at him. He was starting to play against for America. He was, you know, recovered from the injury. Uh, I, I was surprised not to see him. And to me, that sort of signals that Osorio doesn't have that much interest. So it seems like he's fine rolling along. Uh, he thinks he's fine rolling along there. I disagree. I, I think they have... They need someone there who knows how to play that position, who understands when Salcedo, when Reyes have been there. 
They haven't seemed to know how to get forward at times. They haven't been defensively sound there. They've looked confused. So I think when they go forward at the back, which is something they're going to need to do at Russia, I don't think this is going to be a team that plays exclusively three center backs and two wing backs. Even if you do play two wing backs, the right wing back to me is still a question as well. So, uh, yeah, that to me that's the biggest glaring weakness. And, and yeah, if you play Leun there and have Gallardo on the left, I, I like how he's progressing. I'm a fan of his in general. I think he's learning to defend better, as uh, as we talked about a little earlier. But at the same time, at the World Cup level, uh, I'm still not convinced. Rafa, do you think uh, right back D-mid are our weakest positions, or you got another place in mind? No, I agree. It's definitely right back in a defensive midfielder. And let's not forget that I, I think we spoke about Carlos Salcedo earlier, but he was a... I'm not sure what game it was, but he, he was very faulty in one of those games in, in the Confederations Cup where, uh, you know, he just either... He was lost. Yeah. He kept getting he, burned. Uh, yeah. Uh, he just couldn't cope physically and just he was... His positioning was all over the place. But, uh, I mean, these these are positions where, uh, where Mexico... I mean, there was a period where Mexico just had amazing fullbacks and now we sort of just died down a bit. Uh, but I agree with John. I mean, if if Juan Carlos Torre doesn't show any interest for Paulo Aguilar now, he's probably not going to be in Russia. Um, defensive midfielder, again, I agree with John. It's just there's so many players who can cope with that position. Even you can even put a Hector Herrera there if you're desperate. I mean, Hector Herrera, I think, played for for a while a defensive midfielder in one of these last few games, and and he did well. Uh, what I what I think is I think crucial just for any national team is to have a good defensive midfielder. Uh, just, you know, who's just there. Who I mean, it doesn't matter, but, like, when it, when it comes to building a, a team, you have to have a good defensive midfielder. We look at Liga Amekis, when you look at these last few teams, that, uh, for the exception of maybe Chivas, where, you know, I mean, they have a different style of play. But these last few champions in Liga Amekis, they've all, they've all had this defensive midfielder that gets the job done when when you talk about when you talk about Tigres, you have a guy like Guido Pizarro who, who sort of just redefined that Tigres midfield. And I think when it comes to short tournaments like World Cup, the defensive midfielder plays a huge role. Uh, so I mean, it, it is a little worrying because I mean there are I mean, when you talk about other national teams, there there there's certainly teams who who can brag about having a really good defensive midfielder. So it is a little worrying uh, when you're Mexico, uh, but I mean overall. I think maybe right back is the position where you worry the most. Uh, but I, I'd like to see maybe a guy like Edson Alvarez get a chance. Why not give the kid a try as right back? <laughs> maybe we'll give him that try in uh, January and not against two top 10 teams. But who am I? Um, I'll give you first crack, Rafael. What is Mexico's strongest position? Strongest what do you think they're most position. deep at? Yeah. Oh, well, wide players. Uh, uh, I heard... Um, Somebody mentioned this that uh, when Ricardo Volpe coached Mexico, he said, what's the difference between now and uh, back when he was the coach? And he said the wide players. And I think uh, just modern football in general is the emphasis is on the wide players. I, I just read a Pochettino interview earlier where uh, where he said, you know, you know, I'm really proud of my team. Uh, you know, I'm an Arsenal fan, but I got to give Spurs credit for, for the way they're playing. But, you know, he said that, uh, he's proud of, of the way his guys play because, you know, they might not have the budget of a Manchester City who can just go out and buy any white player they want. 
Uh, so they sort of have to, you know, redefine their style of play where they're not as dynamic uh, with their wide players. Uh, but I think for the first time in a long time, when we talk about wide players, Mexico has them. I mean, we have Irving Lozano and Tecatito. Uh, they're as good a, as it gets when it comes to wide players. I mean, they're they're not an Arjun Robin just to bring him back. Uh, they're not, you know, a Lionel Messi. They're, I mean, they're not world-class per se. But they're as good as it gets, okay? You can talk to Poland, talk to Belgium. I mean, bro, Belgium has Hazard, but, you know, talk to, like, any of these top teams in, in the world. They would love to have wide players like that. So I think that's definitely, like, Mexico's strong suit coming into this World Cup. It's the wide players. What are your thoughts, John? Is that you agree with that? Why Mexico's wide players? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, you know, wide attackers. And, you know, you look at uh, starting, I guess, with Bielsa probably earlier than that and sort of that system that's in vogue, you know, that Pochettino, I think, has improved on that Osorio sort of tries to follow, you know. He's got the wingers uh, getting chalk on their on their boots, playing as wide as possible. It's, it's sort of wild that we haven't even mentioned the name Javier Aquino on this podcast. Yeah. You know, I think that you look at, at his talent, and, and he's a guy who probably would be starting for every national team in CONCACAF, probably one or two maybe more in, in South America and, and a couple European teams. And yet it's difficult to see him get in the starting lineup unless it's, you know, maybe in a tournament situation where there's some fatigue setting in for, for some of these guys. Uh, I, I think he's really quality. I really like his game, uh, how he's improved since he's come back from Europe. But he's sort of pushed down the, the list because there's so many other options out wide uh, going forward. So... I think that's certainly an area where Mexico, probably the area where Mexico can point to and say, this is where we have uh, success right now, especially when you look at, at Lozano and, and Tecatito both getting the European minutes and having the success they're having. I'll give you a different question, a slightly different question for you, Brian. What are your thoughts on Jurgen Dam being included in the roster? He's kind of been out of, I don't know, he's not really had a good season at Tigres. I know he's one of our wide players. What are your thoughts on him being on the roster and his chances on making it to Russia? Uh... I don't think his chances are incredible, but I, you know, if he's on this list, <laughs> I definitely think that Osorio has him, you know, in the future plans for right now. Um, you look at his game against New Zealand. I think that's one of the only games he played. First half was not good, but in my opinion, I think he got progressively better. Um, and I think there's a spark that we saw with him a couple years back when he scored against. Honduras that Osorio is waiting to see kind of just happen because, as we know, extremely high pace, um, you know, likes to dribble, you know, hit, but his downsides, obviously, he's pretty one-dimensional once you get a defender or two closing in on him. Um, but it doesn't surprise me that he's on there. Um, and I, it, it, this is a pretty big, you know, set of set of games. So I definitely think he's... Uh, you know, maybe in the top 28 players for right now. Yeah, I don't know. Jurgen Dam, classic winger. I know Sodio likes him. I was kind of, I was really hoping he would be in Europe by now. I mean, he's got the advantage of having that European passport, but Tigers aren't too really many, hurting for money, so. It, it's like too many rumors. It's a, it, Again, this one guy with six rumors, as we talked before in the past, it's like, there's always somebody that's got their eye on them, and then it just disappears. <laughs> um, so, pretty much here at the end real quick. Um, what do you guys – we'll start with you, John. What do you think 
what, how do you see Mexico playing against Belgium and Poland? Do you see them trying to go toe to toe, or do you see Osorio sitting back a little bit? No, I think they do go toe to toe. I mean, I think the worst thing that happens, I guess, worst case scenario in Osorio's mind is that Mexico loses and people are pissed, and I don't think he cares about that. I think you know he's clearly got the job through the World Cup, uh, and I think that's it's time. You know, you have to start trying these things out. I think these friendlies that are that are perfect for Mexico. I think he has to be thrilled that they were able to get these matches because. Uh, these are the type of teams you're going to be playing in Russia. These are the type of teams that you struggled against uh, last time you are in Russia, the Confederations Cup. So I don't see any any reason, any motivation to not go for it and try and play the style that you want to play. I think, you know, we've seen that they want to play a, a style that, that is, they want to play football. You know, sometimes when they've been frustrated in CONCACAF, I think it's been, uh, frustration with, with teams not playing. I think when they've, when they met the Ticos, when they met the U.S. even, uh, in the first game for sure in Columbus, maybe not so much in Mexico City, they were they were thrilled that they were able to sort of play, t- try and play good soccer, try and express their ideas rather than just try and break through a bunker. So uh, I think that's what they'll do. I mean, I think it's going to be uh, two great tests, and I don't see any reason why they wouldn't uh, try and express uh, the ideas that they want to play. Rafa, you see Mexico winning either one of these games? Uh, winning, let's see. <laughs> well, these are tough teams. These these are really really good teams. Uh, I know Belgium is bringing their A squad. I saw that they're bringing pretty much everyone who's healthy. I mean, we could have a whole discussion about these two games and just. I mean, for for starters, Belgium. Like, I hate to bring it up. I I, I mean, I bring it up all the time. But that Chile game, I think more than anything, this game, <laughs> whether we like it or not, we're gonna bring it up it's gonna just we're gonna be reminded by that 7-1 okay i think chile is that Belgium, the country that are they going to the world cup they're not going okay to so i thought all right yeah, go on but but i think belgium is very similar to that chile team they played in copa america i think uh mexico has not played a team with that style of play of belgium i mean we're talking about a belgium team that just likes to stretch the field uh, we just talked about wide players. I mean, the amount of wide players that Belgium has. I mean, even their fullback just is is superb. I mean, Monier from PSG. They have Mertens from Napoli, Hazard, Carrasco from Atletico Madrid. I mean, these guys stretch the field, and I, they play with three at the back because uh, Roberto Martinez likes that style of play. Uh, so, it, it, tactically speaking, it, it's going to be a superb game because I mean. The last time Mexico played a team like this was against Chile, and we know what happened. So do I think maybe, I think Juan Carlos Osorio maybe takes a more cautious approach against Belgium. Um, I don't know. That That's going to be a tough game. But again, it, 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 just all in all, I, I love it because we'll get to see the real level of play. I mean, we'll see if Mexico is really up for it because they'll be playing a really good team. I mean, this is not uh, your... You know, everyday team. This is this is a really good team. With Poland, same thing. I I have Poland as my surprise team for uh, for this upcoming World Cup. Uh, I think they're they're a splendid team. They have Lewandowski, which uh, I think when it comes to any defender, this is a guy you have to keep an eye on. It'll be a true test for whether it's Moreno, Reyes, or whoever is going to be defending. Um, they'll. they'll They'll be up for the challenge, and these are the kind of games you want to play. Uh, I don't know if Mexico gets a win out of these two games. Uh, I maybe Poland, just because um, 
on paper, maybe they're not as good as as a Belgium. Uh, but I'm excited. I'm excited. It should be good games. Is there anything in particular you have your eye on in these two games, Brian? Maybe whether it's t- something tactical or or just to see how a player reacts to certain competition. Uh, yeah. If, if if one of these teams scores an early goal, I mean that's what I'm keeping my eye on because if say Mexico walks away from these two games with a 3-0 and a 2-0 loss, uh, I'm gonna be. I mean they're friendlies, but it's gonna be like, eh, what did we? You know, we, we cruised through CONCACAF, but now from Copa America and, you know, in the semifinals of Confederations, we have not hold, held our own. Something that we we didn't, you know, we didn't have to say back, you know, four or five years ago, um, you know, playing against teams like Brazil. And, and now we're getting, you know, manhandled. So if a team scores early, you know, are we going to have that? You know, like, hey, stay calm. I guess what people look for, you know, as a leader like Rafa Marquez, but basically as a group, just, hey, stay calm and just, you know, work your way out of this. Because if you go down and then, you know, you're still disorganized, who knows what one of these scorelines could be. PTSD from that Chile game definitely yeah. would kick in. Uh, I just want to talk one last thing real quick, Mexico. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts on the New Jersey? I'm going to come out and say, I don't like the New Jersey. But uh, I had some people on Twitter saying, hey, bring up the Jersey, see what people think. Uh, what do you think, John? What are your thoughts on the Jersey? I, I think it's pretty unobjectionable. Why don't you like it? It's just I, Adidas is doing like a throwback to their 94 template. Mexico wasn't wearing Adidas in 94. In fact, a team wearing that template beat Mexico in the World Cup. So your problem is that it's a throwback, not that like the jersey itself is uh, is ugly. You just think it's like a dumb idea. Yeah, and I'm just, it's just I don't know. The jersey's okay, but just all the other stuff around it makes me just not like it. That's, that's fair. What about you, Rafa? I don't mind it. I'll be buying it. I mean, at the end of the day, I'll an authentic it. one or a bootleg one. No, I mean, <laughs> not the player one, but. You know the regular, the cheaper one. But I like it. I mean, I don't know. The Mexico jersey's beautiful to me. What can I say? I'm just glad it's green, man. Sorry, Brian. It's Sorry. green. Yeah, that's, I'm yeah. just glad it's green. Like when they play in like neon or black, I'm like, just wear green, man. It's a beautiful color. I love when Adidas had the whole the whole campaign. Ponte la verde. Like like someone took the green from Mexico. It's like no, you guys designed a kit that had no green in it. Do you like the canoe kit, Brian? No, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I, 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 yeah, like, um, I like its design. I know this is kind of, I don't know, nitpicking, but, like, I like the collar. And one thing that drove me nuts, although it was a very clean kit, the 2013 one, uh, its sleeves were really long. Like, it's even short sleeve, and I didn't like that. And this one looks much more, like, much more, I don't know, normal. And it's a clean design to me. And the colors are good, and I'm just totally sick of that white kit we wore against Chile with that weird neon green. It just makes no sense. So I'm glad we're moving past that <laughs> at this point. I do like the rumored uh, away kit for Nike, the white one with like the red and green stripes yeah, on no, it. Yeah, I do I, like that one. I, I will be buying that one. Same here. Another clean look. I, I, I like that. Yeah. Um, I know we talked about it before you hopped on, John, but... Real quick, what is everyone's thoughts on the U.S. just failing out? Let's not spend too much time, but what are your thoughts on that, Rafa? We 
you said you wanted to talk about it real quick, so. No, I just. I don't know. I, I mean. I mean, I we all us. I mean, everyone here lives in the U.S., so. I don't believe that you guys actually talked about this before I came on. I think it was just bullying of an American person. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, well, I think it's it's bad for Concacaf as a Mexico fan. Of course, we'll always remind U.S. fans about this. But uh, I remember tweeting like, you know, before all this happened, how this was arguably, you know, just the same way I, I, I like to think that this is one of the better Mexico squads in a while, that speaking about the U.S. national team, they had one of the more complete squads in a while. I mean, just on paper. I know Bruce Arena is sort of old school. I mean, he's not your modern guy, but uh, just on paper, I think the fact that you have a guy like Pulisic, I, I've written about this, about how, uh, you know, the same thing, that's happening in Mexico. I don't think for a while Mex- uh, the U.S. has had a player like Pulisic, which is just uh, a different player. He's, he's special. Uh, as we say in Spanish, he's un jugador diferente. Uh, you know, what he brings to the table, I don't think we've ever seen with the national team, with the U.S. national team. Uh, and then at the same time, you have these young guys coming up like Acosta, uh, you know, just who bring in something different to the table. Uh, I don't think I'd seen that with the U.S. national team in a while. And the fact that, you know, after, you know, weeks after I said something like that, the U.S. national team crashes out. uh, I don't know. It's a little weird for me still. Uh, Because make no mistake, I mean, I'm a Mexico fan. I'm I'm happy in a way that the U.S. didn't make it. But the U.S. national team is a good team. I mean, make no make no mistake about it. I think they can compete. They should be in the World Cup. They are one of the better teams. When we when we talk about the 32 best teams in the world, the U.S. has to be in it, um, just on paper, uh, because of the players they have. I mean, I know a lot of you guys like to take shots at Major League Soccer, but it's I mean there are it's a good league. It's a growing league. Uh, whatever people say, uh, and the fact that they're not in the World Cup, I don't know, it's still a bit shocking to me. I mean, even today, what is it? It's been it's been a few weeks already. It's it's still a bit shocking to me. What do you think, Brian? I'll let John get the final word, so go ahead, Brian. Uh, I have a little bit of a different take on it. To me, if you're a Mexico fan, I, I think you should be either, you know, like, hey, whatever, it's, it's not, my, not my problem type of thing, and that's kind of how I feel. Um, it, it is a rivalry, but it's one of those rivalries. I was talking with some other people like this, like 20% of one side has to feel guilty that they're a fan. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't get that because at the end of the day, this is sports. And, you know, you support who you support. I don't think that makes you a bad person or anything. So, yeah, I mean, it's your rival. They're not in it. Uh, you get to focus on yourself right now. You know what I mean? Um, whether what I mean, maybe the overall image of Concacaf doesn't um, look great, but who knows? I mean, we, I didn't see Costa Rica getting out of their group. Maybe Panama puts on a show. You know what I mean? Um, but you know, you, you just have to wait and see. But in terms of them missing it, it does nothing. Like I, I have no negative feelings. Yeah, I think just them missing it. Just I look at it just like like laugh nervously as a Mexico fan because it could have easily been Mexico four years ago. A hundred percent, yeah. hundred percent it could have been. Yeah, so I'm just like, it sucks. I wish it would have made it, but I mean, I mean, 
I'm not too heartbroken, but what do you think, John? As the uh, as the American, as the true American, whatever. <laughs> no, I mean, I, it's it's disappointing. It's frustrating. I think for the whole region. I was surprised by how much I sort of felt it because you know you guys follow me on Twitter, read my work, and we've chatted before. You know, look, like I, I'm. I, I very much have sort of a journalist perspective on all of this, a little more neutral. There are some players or moments that I definitely like seeing, but, you know, I, I'm not coming at this from the fans' perspective, but it still definitely hit me hard to see the U.S. not make it because I think it's going to definitely uh, slow the development of the game in this country, That, that and that benefits everyone uh, listening to this podcast almost certainly, you know. Uh, I think the U.S. has to use it as a, as a moment to to reevaluate things, to say what's working and what's not. Clearly, probably more things are not working than are right now. So I think it has to be a moment of change. And if the U.S. doesn't use it as that, then that's 100% to their detriment. Um, hopefully they will. You know, Hopefully it gets sorted out. We, we come out as a soccer nation uh, better from this, I guess. And from a CONCAP perspective, look, even you, know, you mentioned Mexico four years ago, having to go through the playoff, the U.S. not making it this year. I think that sometimes, especially when you know a, a Morlero gets announced or something, especially Mexico fans, U.S. fans as well, but especially Mexico fans, just don't have the respect for CONCACAF that, that it really does deserve sometimes. Sometimes it's a bit of a joke. Sometimes goofy things happen, stupid things happen, decisions are made that are poor. But I think for the most part, this is a region where maybe we don't realize how good it can be and how good it is sometimes. You know, Panama deserves their spot 100%. It's a country that's been growing and growing and growing football-wise for the past decade, maybe a little longer. Honduras, you know, they don't play good football, but they 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 have their style and they stick to it. And they, you know, they could be back at the World Cup for the third consecutive time. So maybe that's my sort of if there's any lesson for Mexico fans to take out of this, it's that uh, hey, sometimes this region can come up and bite you. Mexico knows it firsthand. The U.S. knows it firsthand, and uh, I think we'll be seeing more and more of it as the region continues to grow and evolve, and uh, and as international football continues to change. And I think, um, are we going to forty-eight teams next for twenty twenty-two? Has that been approved? No, I think. Uh, is I think it's the next one. Okay. Yeah, expanded one. Because I was gonna say this game. This is one of the last times where you know people were, oh, U.S. didn't make it, Chile didn't make it. After like these two World Cups, it's like. If you don't make the World Cup with 48 teams, that says a lot more about you than anything else. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> uh, well, you talked about it real quick. Uh, so I know you're the, you're the CONCACAF guy here, John. So what? Uh, give me your 30-second preview for the Honduras versus Australia. I mean, I think Honduras is going to do what they do. I, I, I think if the legs were switched, I would like their chances a lot more. If they could, have, if they could host the second leg, but they're, they're hosting the first. Expect a pretty closed game. Uh, you know, Elise and uh, Kyoto and and uh, Lozano both. You know, they all can provide a little bit of attack. So maybe uh, Pinto will take the reins off a little bit. But I think the first leg will be very close, and then Australia behind the the the, uh, the the strength of their fans. I don't know them very well, honestly. You know, I know they have Tim Cahill, but I, I, I spiritual leader. He's sort of like a Rafa Marquez figure, and then he's like a spiritual leader, but probably isn't the best player on the team anymore. So I, I don't know too much about Australia, but judging based off of what I've seen and know about Honduras, uh, I think they'd be a lot better served if they sort of knew what result they had to have in the second leg at home. But since they won't have that luxury, I don't love their chances. But it's certainly possible we saw them uh, put in a decent performance in the past. 
in the last, what, four games, I guess, of the Hex. So we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I mean, we we're, were talking about it before you have time, but just the flights, just Honduras to Australia, it's just got to be. Games are close together, too. Like, it's like not, it's like three days between. I know Pinto was pretty upset about it. So. It's actually, uh, I'm looking at the schedule, November 10th and then November 15th. I, th- I thought it was going to be three days, too, but I guess they get five days. Yeah, but yeah, but like you said, when you cross the date line, I don't know. It's certainly like as far as like setting up training sessions and stuff, there's that's not a lot of time between legs. I know you can only do so much, but uh, that's it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty grueling. So yeah, it's gonna be interesting, and thank God I don't have to stay up at like three in the morning to watch Mexico play New Zealand, or God knows what the time kickoff was for that for those playoffs four years ago. That was rough. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, <laughs> Thank God we had Inform Gullet back then, and he just pretty much led us. <laughs> yeah. And Peralta. Yeah, Peralta. Oh, yeah, whatever. We scored goals on that. No, no disrespect to New Zealand, but we could have scored goals in those uh, in those games. The only thing I know from New Zealand is that they they create they uh, the guys from Flight of the Conquerors are there. That's the only thing I need to know about New Zealand. I don't know about you guys, but I love that show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything else you guys want to touch on? Um, do you guys have any score predictions for these upcoming games? I think both games two to one. I don't know who's going to win, but I think both games are going to two to one. <laughs> oh, I like it. I, I, uh, I'll, I'm going to say uh, one win and one draw. Uh, that's me being optimistic I, I think there's a very good chance Mexico will lose at least one of those games and people will freak out and it just won't matter it's a friendly it's a it's a good European teams I think how they play is far more important than what the result is and because of that I'm gonna boycott a prediction Nah, I really just don't want to look really dumb with my my, my horribly wrong prediction so just make I, mean, I could I could see it going the way the Croatia Ireland two friendlies went that could that could very well happen. It could be like a a two zero loss and then like a three one win. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I I, I think they're going to be competitive games. I mean, this is the, not a typical friendly. These guys are you know they're fighting to get on that plane to Russia. So I think, assuming Osorio doesn't come out in like a three five two that the team hasn't practiced in or something, they should be competitive games. Um, all right. Well, thanks guys for hopping on. Uh, John, where can the people find you on Twitter and where are you writing for these days? Uh, I'm at Arnold comma John. You spell out comma, no H in John on Twitter. All my stuff is on goal.com. It, we did a redesign and it's not as easy to find Mexico content, but it's there almost every day, either Liga Mekis or national teams. So if you click on the top, uh, to competitions or honestly, just follow me on Twitter, it'd probably be easier. Uh, but it, we're, we're doing stuff on Mexico almost every day, so you can definitely check it out over there on, on Goal. Do you think, uh, side note, do you think they're going to do more, focus more stuff on Mexico on Goal.com since they're in the World Cup? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'll be uh, upticking my, my production uh, L3-wise, even though, like I said, I do stuff almost every day. Uh, there will definitely be more Mexico. I think we might even have uh, myself and maybe one other guy who, who knows the team uh, sort of, well, uh, going to Russia, we haven't sort of finalized everything yet, but it'll definitely be there'll be plenty of stuff on the World Cup from our region, from Concacaf, and then 
you know, a lot of the goal guys are based in Europe, and so they have a lot of expertise in some of those teams as well. It's probable that Mexico is going to end up playing some of those teams. So there will be good opposition research uh, available and plenty of plenty of stuff on, on Mexico as the road to Russia uh, gets serious, man. December 1st, the draw. I think that'll be a huge day. And then uh, games and everything. So we'll definitely have all sorts of coverage. And it won't just be, uh, if, if you for some reason hate my stuff, uh, it won't only be me on there. So feel free to click over. <laughs> what about you, Rafa? Is Rafa still there? I'm sorry about that. Right, <laughs> you watching the Lakers game or what? Yeah, I watch the Lakers game. <laughs> it's exciting. It's, they're, they're not losing? No, they're up by three with 30 seconds left. Anyway, uh, so you can find me at Mexican Food on Twitter. Uh, you've been writing on FMS State of Mind, Raul, as well. You've you've written some articles there. You always do your Mexicans abroad article on there. I should get to work on that, actually, after this Lakers game. Uh, but, yeah, uh, just excited to be back on and just miss talking about Mexican footy with you guys. Yeah, I got to get back in the habit of doing these. These are fun. Um, what about you, Brian? What are you writing for these days? I'm still at the stoppage time, um, stoppage time.com. Obviously, I'm one of the top five articles on there most of the time, so you'll probably see my name or at Twitter at BrianRMW. How are the Cavs going to do this year? Any predictions? I, uh, not so far. If I, uh, They're looking a little rough, so I have no idea. Do you guys um, miss Kyrie? So far, yeah. So you're saying you're saying a 28 year old Derrick Rose with three bad knees is not cutting it? Actually, he's playing at a high level. It's the problem is there's like nobody else stepping up. But um, yeah, they're not looking too good. Um, I think they might be uh, a little rough here. Do you got a basketball team, John? Uh, yeah, I roll with my hometown Dallas Mavericks, and uh, you know what? Looking like uh, we're gonna have a good chance in the lottery this off season. <laughs> not if not if my Bulls can help it. Let me tell you that right now. <laughs> yeah, it's a race to the bottom, my friend. Yeah, when you have your two of your top eight players fight each other, and one of them breaks the other guy's face. It's not looking good. <laughs> At least the Mavs get along. Like it's like everyone's like, all right, cool. We got Dirk. He's been here for twenty years. Like we love that guy. We got Dennis Smith. Like the future's looking bright. We have, like, young and old, and it's like the U.S. national team. There's, like, a bright young prospect we're all excited about. There's some old dudes who still can ball, and then there is no one in the middle. So it's going to be a long year. Yeah, we the Bulls allegedly have baby Dirk, Laurie Markin, and we'll see how that works out. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> and I know Rafa's got his Lakers, obviously. But, um, yeah, you guys can find me at, at the Colorful Kit. On Twitter and then at thecolorfulkit.com, I've been trying to write some more stuff, get into the groove of things, and uh, yeah, I'm actually finishing up my Mexicans abroad for FMF State of Mind. I'm um, just waiting. I was waiting for Kubo to see if he scored a goal, but I guess not. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, let I mean, hopefully we'll get we'll get in the groove of doing these a little bit more. Most of them won't be two hours long like this one is, but hey, when you gotta talk football, you gotta talk football. We gotta catch up. I mean, there's yeah. there's just a lot on the plate here. Yeah, uh, I'm. I'm I'm on the fence. I might cut this to two, make it the first one. Eh, we'll do one long one, whatever. We'll let, we'll let the yeah, people decide. But uh, <laughs> thanks for coming on, John, Brian, Rafa. Hopefully we'll do more of these in the future. And uh, uh, Yeah, thanks, guys. Thanks.